0: Having this podcast as an outlet to talk in-depth about Oklahoma football has been an incredible blessing for Grant and I since we started back in August of 2017, and the fact that there's so many of you who tune in every week to hear what we have to say means more to us than you'll ever know. Last season, I found out Greg Blackwood listened to the show. I'm not sure if any of you out there have ever met Greg, but I wouldn't be surprised if you had. Greg's one of those guys it seems like everybody knows. He's worked at News 9 in Oklahoma City since 1986. And in 2011, Greg joined the Oklahoma football radio crew as a spotter for Toby Rowland. Hey, man, where's your podcast? Greg asked me one day at the office. I was taken aback. I had no idea that anybody at News 9 listened to the show, let alone someone who also worked with the Oklahoma radio team. Wait, you... You know about my podcast? I asked Greg. He said, "Yeah, dude, great show. You should do more episodes." <laughs> I, you know, I got to tell you, that meant so much to me that Greg said he listened to listened to the show and also liked the show because again, I had no idea. Greg's a huge Oklahoma fan, like all of you who listen to the show. So his support of West of Everest kind of drove home to me that, hey, you know what? Maybe we're doing something right here. And I remember texting Grant immediately saying, Hey, just met a fan of the show, and he works for the OU radio team. And also, we work together. I'm happy that Grant and I have been able to give Greg some podcast entertainment because I definitely owe him something after all the help he's given me since I began at News 9 back in November 2016. Greg's the chief photographer. He's shot tons of OU and OSU games and anything else you can think of in news – So anytime there's a question or an issue, Greg's the dude you go to. You see, this has been a really difficult week because Greg passed away overnight on Sunday. He was 57. My heart breaks for his wife, Dana, also a News 9 co-worker, as well as his kids, Brooke and Brian, and the rest of Greg's family. Greg found out this summer that he had stage 4 pancreatic cancer, a diagnosis that unfortunately... Grant and I and our family know all too much about. Losing any family member or friend or loved one is quite possibly the hardest thing about living life. It's just so, so incredibly sad, and it's uniquely one of the few things that all of us can relate to and sympathize with. I'm sure all of you listening know exactly what I'm talking about and know exactly how Greg's family and friends feel right about now. So, to Dana and the rest of your family, please know that I am praying for you and please know just how special Greg was to so many people. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. They reestablished Brees Hall. They faked it to him. Here's a big hitter, and it's going to be the first lead of the night for Iowa State Xavier Hutchinson who
1: turned down Oklahoma and came to Iowa State. Gives the Cyclones the lead on a 65-yard
0: play. Well, we all remember that play. Or maybe we don't. Uh, The game was more than two months ago now at this point. So uh, in case you forgot, Xavier Hutchinson catches the slant off a Brock Purdy RPO and goes 65 yards for the go-ahead touchdown for Iowa State. It was a super annoying play because... Well, it, it probably never should have happened. One snap earlier, the Sooners had gotten a third down stop, but Trey Brown committed a really lazy holding penalty. I mean, the guy just, he grabbed his receiver on at the beginning and just held all the way down the field, even though it was a, a, a two-man concept and Trey had some safety help, but he still grabbed him and, and held on for dear life. So Iowa State got a break, and on the next play was that Hutchinson touchdown. So... Uh, Anyways, the result of the game, not good. Sooners lost 37 to 30 back on October the 3rd, October the 3rd, that game that long ago. Hey, everybody, thanks for tuning in today. Let me just say from the top, you are all great. You've made your voices heard, and you've got us up back to a five-star rating on iTunes. So we really appreciate the positive ratings and the cool five-star reviews that some of you have left on the iTunes page. And a big shout-out to one of you out there who referenced five-star quarterback Rhett Bomar in one of your reviews. Very, very creative with that. We've got a Big 12 championship game to preview today. Plus, as we record early on Wednesday evening, the Sooners have a top 10 recruiting class. And as we've said countless times on this show, this is not the podcast for hot OU recruiting talk. We might briefly talk about it later on in the show, but just a heads up that this is not going to be the show where you do or where we do an hour on all the guys Oklahoma uh, just signed in the 2021 class. With that, let's bring in Grant for the first time today. Grant, what's going on? Lee, you buried the lead
1: on uh, on that Xavier Hutchinson catcher on on the play before that, if you recall, uh, or, yeah, on the Trey Brown holding penalty. Iowa State got an automatic first down on that play, and they should not have. It still should have been third and six after
0: that play. You buried the lead. So, uh, surprise. I have some information about that, and would you be shocked and annoyed to find out that that actually was the correct call so does that mean that the call the week before
1: that in the kansas state game when it happened to spencer rattler was not the correct call great
0: question and the answer is both calls seemingly were actually correct and i have the rule book reasoning for you and everyone on this podcast might be thinking what whoa this is some welcome to big 12 12 college football
1: 2020 where the rules are made up and nothing matters (laughs)
0: Um, yeah, it it does seem like that sometimes, but in this particular instance, actually Oklahoma is on the, uh, the negative end of both instances of that rule. And so here is why it was the correct call in the Iowa state game on Trey Brown, because Trey was holding the receiver beyond the neutral zone. And when the hold is, uh, hold happens to a receiver, Beyond the neutral zone, obviously like past the line of scrimmage, it is a 10-yard penalty and an automatic first down. That is Rule 935 in the college rule book. Now, you, you asked a great question. What about the week before when it was third and eighteen and Spencer Rattler got sacked, but there was a holding penalty called against Kansas State? Why didn't that become an automatic first down? By the way. The reason why this is also kind of confusing is because both plays, a pass was not attempted, which was, uh, I think, the reasoning for the Kansas State 1-0. Since there wasn't a pass attempted, that's why it was no automatic first down. But I'm not sure if that... I don't think that's the case, because when you watch the Oklahoma-Kansas State play back, it's Jeremiah Hall that gets held. But when you watch the play, he's behind the neutral zone. He's not across the line of scrimmage. So the 10-yard penalty... Does not have an automatic first down attached to it. Unfortunately, I was not able to actually find that directly said in the rule book. I didn't read the entire thing because it's a hundred thousand bajillion words and pages long. So I kind of did some keyword searching for behind the line of scrimmage, didn't find a, a direct a direct reference of it. But since the other rule is that it specifically says the the hold happens beyond the line of scrimmage, I thought, oh, let's go back to this Kansas State game. Let me just see if Jeremiah Hall was beyond the line of scrimmage. Well, he wasn't. He was behind the line of scrimmage. So that has to be the reason why the 10-yard penalty did not have the automatic first down. It's a, dare, it's a, it's a bad rule. It's a dumb rule because Jeremiah Hall sure would have been beyond the, uh, beyond the neutral zone if he wasn't being held on the play. So I believe this is the difference, and I believe that is uh, why both of those calls went against Oklahoma, because um, one was beyond the line of scrimmage, one was uh, behind the line of scrimmage. It's very, very nuanced and kind of confusing, but I I do think that it was the correct call, unfortunately. Yikes.
1: Good on you for looking that up. Um, Definitely was not clear at the time. No, almost of two they, they and a half months ago. It. Just crazy to think that 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 game was a long time ago. Jeez, a lot, lots of water under the bridge since that game uh, got played. Two very different football teams, I would say. Actually, you know what? Iowa State's not that different. They're they're still kind of the same team, playing better, playing better for sure. Uh, but OU is is quite a bit different than they were on October third.
0: Yeah, playing a lot better and different players. Although I will say, I can't say with certainty that Iowa State doesn't have any new players as well. I, I, I'm sure they have a couple of random guys that, that are maybe playing more than they were back then because um, that's just the way football works, but um, did not dive deep into that. But obviously we, do, we dive deep into Oklahoma and we know for a fact that obviously Ronnie Perkins and Ramondre Stevenson, the two biggest names are back and, and two guys that Matt Campbell was asked about this week, not surprisingly. Um, but it's funny you mentioned that uh, a long time ago, uh, you know different teams now, even though Iowa state's kind of similar, Oklahoma's uh, you know definitely different. That was the message essentially from both coaches this week as they were talking about the game. Uh, Lincoln Riley did say that he 's being very careful not to take too much away from that first contest, positive or negative. but you know I think on this podcast that we have the obligation to figure out if Lincoln Riley not taking a whole lot from the first game is fair or not. So, Grant, what do you remember about that first game, even though it was uh, seven years ago at this point? uh, And does that first game matter at all when we look forward to Saturday?
1: Well, I don't need to remember a whole lot because I did go back and rewatch it today. So all of the memories (laughs) came flooding back in. And, man, was that an absurdly frustrating football game. Taking us all the way back in the Wayback Machine to early October um there were just there were there were numerous times during that game especially in the first half uh where OU could have could have effectively ended things um or could have could have put a lot of space between them and Iowa State and you know as it kind of was in the first four or five games of the season they just refused to take any (laughs) sort of daylight that Iowa State was giving them they just weren't able to do it the OU made one play in that game, uh, one consequential play in that game. That was Isaiah Thomas in the second half, his strip sack on Purdy when the game was tied at 23. And then after that, they kind of pissed down their leg. Um, it was it was a really frustrating game. A game that when you rewatch it, it's kind of like, oh, geez, if they do this thing and they do this thing, it's a game they probably win. So in that sense, it gives you, you know, you're not going into this Big 12 championship game now thinking, well oh, crap, this is a team that... That really got the best of us, and I have no idea how how you know we're going to flip the script in this one. That game really was a game in which, if if one or two things went OU's way, they likely would have won the game. Um, and so, I, I think the biggest question going into this game, Lee, is how big of a deal are. Is is Ramondre Stevenson and Ronnie Perkins being you know now being on the roster for OU able to play you know how how big a deal is that to this game and and I you know I think it's it's a pretty a pretty big pretty big deal in this game actually like uh, you know and I'm sure we're gonna get we're we're gonna get into it but you know those were those were two of OU's best players that Iowa State did not have to account for in that game and there there were certain times in that game where definitely. Ramondre Stevenson and Ronnie Perkins's presence would have definitely been felt.
0: Yeah, I agree. And we're gonna or do our standard, go over the matchups in this game: Oklahoma's offense versus Iowa State's defense, and vice versa. Then we're going to talk about our. We've been doing it a lot more this year. Our gut feelings for the game. Uh, maybe we'll do a little bit what you want to see, what you know, things like that. Uh, so we're going to get into that. We'll get into more details uh, down the line in this podcast. Um, from the first game, I re- went back and rewatched it as well. And you know, my takeaways from that first game are, are, are all very similar to what you just laid out right there. Um, it was good to be reminded, though, in that first game, Spencer Rattler actually played really, really well. And I mean, for the most part in that game, he took what Iowa State gave him, which after watching the Baylor game, where he was a bit impatient and he took, took a couple shots where he probably shouldn't have, and he, he, he wasn't willing as much to check down, or, or you know, he just he didn't look like himself. Uh it's it's pretty interesting to see back whenever he was still very uh new to the you know new to starting in college playing his first road game he he looked really comfortable uh really good in that Iowa State game a, a lot better than he looked against Baylor which happened a couple weeks ago i thought that was pretty interesting um on the other side Brock Purdy he was not very good and we pointed this out at the time and it just it was hammered home again on the rewatch it's a pretty good sign for Iowa State that their quarterback didn't play very well and they still won the football game. Oklahoma, just to remind you all, they could have had four interceptions in that game, and I believe Oklahoma had zero. I don't think they picked off Purdy once. The one turnover was the aforementioned Isaiah Thomas strip sack and recovery by Josh Ellison. Uh, For the most part in the game, Oklahoma was able to contain him on the ground. He didn't have a whole lot of opportunities to run around and and pick up yardage like we saw him a year ago uh, previous years like we've seen him in the past few games we'll get to that later he's playing some great football now but in that game I was reminded that Brock Purdy did not play particularly well and Oklahoma just did not take advantage of it this is something that you're going to talk about Uh, we'll talk about this more when we get to the Iowa State offense Oklahoma defense Uh, Oklahoma could not tackle Brees Hall Brees Hall was slippery the field was pretty slippery it seemed like but it also seemed like only Oklahoma was the ones who were falling down a lot. Iowa State didn't seem to have much trouble. Uh, and also, I was reminded that this was back during the part of the season when the secondary was committing penalty after penalty after penalty. Six penalties by defensive backs in that game. It would have been seven, but uh, one of them was offsetting penalties because Iowa State also committed the penalty on that one play. And all the penalties were committed by Pat Fields, Buki, and Trey Brown all of the veteran players, mostly Buki and mostly Trey Brown. Pat Fields had one. So those are my big takeaways from the first time around. Uh, What can we take from it? Does it matter when it comes to this game? It matters in the sense that I think for Spencer Rattler, you can watch back that film and and realize that he had a pretty good day against a really good defense. It's a defense that's playing a lot better right now, but it's still got the same principles, same ideas, and I think they'll take a lot from that because, again, I think the offense played really well, and if it wasn't for – rattler uncharacteristically in that game taking a deep shot in a double coverage when he didn't need to uh, and resulted in that late interception which essentially ended the game Uh, other than that and there there was one other bad throw where he should have been picked off and he wasn't he was really good he was really really good so I think you can take that that'll be good for Spencer Rattler and I mean for the Oklahoma defense they're going to see that they didn't tackle Brees all very well they'll key on hopefully key in on that quite a bit And knowing that they have Ronnie Perkins back and the depth has been good and the secondary has, has, you know, you got D.J. Graham playing now. you got uh, Trey Norwood playing a lot more than he did back then. Uh, Woody Washington was playing a little bit back then, but now he's playing a lot more. Hopefully he's good to go. So I think that will be good for looking back at this game. Uh, And then obviously hopefully they're watching more recent film, which I'm sure they are. So that's my takeaways from the first game. Uh, Any of uh, what I just said there do you want to add on to? Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I just obviously the the tackling on Brees Hall was a big deal. Um, I was also reminded of a couple of open field tackles that Brendan Radley Hiles missed as well that that uh, resulted in in explosive plays as well uh, that that should not have happened. Um, yeah, they just they you know a lot of the times I, I was telling you before we got on, there's this there's this documentary or whatever on HBO Max where Bill Belichick and Nick Saban all they do is just kind of talk shop for an hour and twenty minutes um and uh during that Nick Saban makes makes a comment in there saying you know a lot of the times you know you can you can talk about Xs and Os and what do we do here and where are we confused here but a lot of the times when you win or lose football games it really does come down to who blocks and tackles the best um and you know when when someone like Nick Saban says that you definitely listen and go and watch the OU and Iowa State game and it's it's pretty obvious that Oklahoma lost that game because their defense really struggled to tackle uh, really struggled to tackle, and that's that's part of the game. You know, give give Brees Hall some credit for breaking some of the tackles he did. He's been doing it against everybody this year, um, but also at the same time, you know, if you're if you're Oklahoma, you're a perennial top five team, and you you know you have your eyes set on a national championship more than half the time. Uh, when you got a guy wrapped up in the backfield, you need to you need to bring him down. And there were what three or four instances of that, you know, with Brees Hall in the first game and that he was able to spin out of that and get chunk yardage, and every single time, it was a backbreaker. It was a huge deal. <laughs> it was a massive... It was, you know... It, and so, I think... I, it wouldn't be that surprising if there's a lot of guys on OU's defense coming into this game thinking, geez, man, I mean we just, we just need to tackle better. We need to tackle Brees Hall when we get him behind the line of scrimmage. Because there are going to be opportunities to do that. Um, and we're going to get into it you know, more so here, but OU's defensive line... Is is absolutely one of the best in college football. It's an elite unit in college football. Iowa State is, is going to have trouble blocking them consistently. Uh, opportunities to get Brees Hall and Brock, Brock Purdy down behind the line of scrimmage are going to be plentiful in this game. Um, can they do it? Are they going to be able to wrap up and bring him down? I guess I guess we'll find out. Um, but man, I, I, I gotta tell you, you know, going into this, I, I feel pretty pretty good. Uh, you know about that that Benito Perkins Winfrey and Thomas front four that they're gonna that they're gonna roll out there a majority of the time, and Iowa State just does not have an answer for that whatsoever at all. That their, their their game plan is going is when those guys are on the field, their entire game plan is going to be what on earth can we do to make sure that those four guys do not have an impact on this game, and that's you know that's gonna open that's gonna open some things up for OU and other areas as well. Um. That's a, that's a huge factor in this game that just, that just wasn't there in the first game. Ronnie Perkins being out there is a whole, whole lot more difficult than Iowa State than Leron Stokes being out there. Well,
0: let's do that right now. Let's start with the Oklahoma defense against the Iowa State offense since uh, uh, I figure this will be a, a smooth transition into that. And, and I'm going to play a little bit devil's advocate right off the bat because Iowa, Iowa State had a tough time blocking Oklahoma's front the first game. Oklahoma's front got a lot of pressure. I mean, they they moved pretty well without Ronnie Perkins. And Iowa State's offense was still able to hit some plays, uh, still able to move the ball. So with Perkins in there, obviously he's a a, a really nice, great player. But that still will probably mean, okay, Oklahoma still gets pressure. So doesn't Iowa State just do the same things they did before, which is essentially try to isolate and set up good matchups and attack – the secondary specifically, you attack Buki, Trey Brown. Uh, you attack the linebackers, Deshaun White, uh, maybe even De- David Ogbwaybu. Uh I mean, I, I'm not so sure. The addition of Perkins is that uh, if if it's making Iowa State's offense and their coaches that as I guess concerned as you might think, considering the level of play Perkins or the level of player Perkins is. I mean, I I don't. What do you think to that?
1: I think you're crazy for thinking that. The number one thing that keeps coaches up at night are pass rushers. And OU has and OU has the two best pass rushers in the Big Twelve. With Benito See, and Iowa Persians. State when And they're gonna be State, on the field uh, at the same time. Which sure. means which means no, one that, of those guys great. one of those guys, every single time, either one of those guys, and Winfrey as well, is gonna be one on one one of those guys at some point in time is going to be one-on-one and that's not that's not a good matchup for anyone in college football so you know I this is and kind of when we go through this I'm going to kind of read off some I was finally able to get some more in-depth like SP plus numbers for OU's defense and um OU's like OU's defensive numbers in terms of defending the pass are outstanding this season and I know that's not because they have a bunch of locked down, amazing defensive backs So, like, you know, that's, that's a well-worn subject on this show. The reason their pass defense has been so statistically outstanding this season is because their pass rush is absolutely monstrous. It's very, very good. Um, and it's a lot. It, it was good in that first game against Brock Purdy in Iowa state. They didn't always get home. They got home a pretty decent amount of time, but they made Purdy really uncomfortable. Um, and it's even better now. Like Benito is playing at a higher level. Ronnie Perkins is is here and playing at a high level. Isaiah Thomas, we were talking, you know, on, you know, before the show game came on, I, I I think he probably should be the Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year. So you have the Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year and all it, who should be, and then two guys who are actually According more talented Grant. and better than him, also on the field at the same time. And then oh yeah, Perry and Winfrey is there too. So I, you know I. Obviously and they're all we, more experienced yeah, compared to the Yeah, Obviously, we want to go more in depth with stuff like this. But a lot of the times, I even Nick Saban says it. A lot of the times this stuff is really simple. Whoever, you know, blocks better, tackles better, wins the game. And typically really athletic, talented guys block better and tackle better. And OU has a lot more of those guys this time around. And they got two guys in very, very important positions that Iowa State did not have to deal with the first time around. Um and I and like I, I just I think in college football lee. A a a dominant defensive lineman slash edge rusher is the most Wait, important. Wait, who's the second?
0: You said two guys. Who's the other Perkins and who else? Uh,
1: I'm, t- I'm sorry, I'm, I, I meant Stevenson there too, and that on the offense. Oh, not, so. sorry, okay. Um, but in college football, I, I think the most important defender is an edge rusher or a defensive an edge defensive lineman, and OU has the two best in the Big Twelve on their team, and they're they're two of okay. the best in the country as well. And I you know Iowa State they're a good team. They're really well-schemed. They're extremely well-coached. OU's got a whole hell of a lot more dudes than Iowa State does. And a lot of stuff had to go Iowa State's way in the first game. A lot, a lot of stuff had to go their way in the first game for them to escape. And I just, I, I, it's, Iowa State's margin for error in this game is much, much smaller. A lot smaller. And things kind of already went their way a lot in the first game. The law of averages is going to catch up eventually.
0: So yeah, edge rusher on defense is a really important position and I I share a lot. I agree with a lot of things you said there. Uh the difference though, this time around compared to the last game is we have Brock Purdy who was playing the best football of his career in my opinion. He was not playing very well back then. He's play- uh, so you got the fact that that's happening. And also, yes, Oklahoma stats defending the pass are very good because the pass rush has been very good. But also, you know, to what degree is the reasoning the fact that they haven't played very many good quarterbacks. I mean, you go down the list, you got Skylar Howard, you got Brock Purdy, who was not playing very well in the first time, you got Sam Ellinger, probably the be- ne- next to Purdy, the best one. You got, um, I'm blanking on TCU's quarterback, I apologize. Duggan. <laughs> uh, Duggan, who really struggles to throw. Uh, you got Columbia from Texas Tech, you got whoever the heck Kansas had at quarterback, doesn't matter. You, know, you- Spencer Sanders for a little bit. But mostly Shane sucks. Illingworth. Right. And then you have Charlie Brewer, who um, is more run around, is more of a threat with his legs than he is with his, with his arm. Didn't get to face uh, Deggie from West Virginia. I mean, that's – and now they're getting Brock Purdy, who we have been very disappointed in him a lot on this show since 2018. But he is playing the best he's played, I think, in his career, and he's seeing things very well. And you mix that with an offense of – uh, coaching staff, and I'm blanking on their offensive coordinator's name right now, which is not great podcasting. But I know he's up for the bro's Award for best assistant coach, and you got the offensive line who's up for the Moore Award, which is best offensive line. Which who knows? I guess Iowa State's got a good offensive line now. Uh, this, I'm, I'm not as confident as I would be if this was the same looking Iowa State team as it was back in early October. Is all I'm trying to say. It's a, a bit fence sitting, I know, but. Uh, It's it's me pushing back a little bit, not uh, you know, so you don't get as excited.
1: Okay, so you know, Iowa State's a good team. Like I I haven't said you know anything otherwise, Um, but their offense is not explosive. Brees Hall is by far their best player on offense, Um, and if he and like if if he's bottled up behind the line of scrimmage and they're in third and long a lot, man, this thing's over. Like no Iowa State is not going to be successful in, in, in that scenario. There's not if, if if OU can corral Brees Hall and can limit him busting you know busting big back you know big back breaking games, which is going to be tough because he's good because he's a dude. You know if OU is able to do that, Iowa State is not going to be able to win this game in and th- third and long the entire. Time. Oh, I, I agree. I don't I agree. care how well Brock Purdy is playing.
0: I agree. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to run the ball. I mean, Brees Hall is playing great right now. He looked – I watched the West Virginia game uh, a little bit before this uh, in addition to rewatching the OU-Iowa State game. Brees Hall reminded me in that game, and and maybe he's played like this for the the latter part of the year, he looked like Le'Veon Bell, the way he was playing and kind of dancing around in the backfield, being patient, waiting for holes to open up. Now, a lot of times against Oklahoma the first time around, there were Sooners – streaking into the backfield and there wasn't any time for him to make those moves so maybe that was a difference between Oklahoma's scheme up front and West Virginia's scheme up front what they tried to do I don't know uh, but yeah Bruce Hall is, is definitely a dude and and the question is will Brock Purdy continue to play the way he has been playing I mean I think his his ball placement's been really good it was really good against West Virginia who before the last game supposedly had a great defense uh, I know that before the podcast you th- you know you mentioned that maybe they had some guys out for COVID reasons but I don't even if that's so, I don't think they had a ton of guys out. I mean, I, I still think that they kind of got their butts kicked by West Virginia. I think Iowa State's offense is just really well schemed. I think the coaching staff, by the way, the offensive coordinator's name is Tom Manning. It has to be. I, it
1: has to be well schemed because they just they they don't have a lot of explosive, great offensive players. They just like they're, you know, Xavier Hutchinson as a receiver is fine. The receivers overall as a group are not are not good.
0: They're just not. Um, their tight ends are, are fine you don't like They're, Sean Shaw you don't like no, uh, I mean he's he's tall um, the tight ends you don't like Allen and Kohler
1: I think no I, I like their tight ends I think their tight ends are good but their tight ends are also not going to blow you away with athletic ability their tight ends are large that's basically it mm-hmm. and they can catch they can catch like I'm not like this is um, but this is this is not you know absent Brees Hall breaking off big runs against you this is not an offense that you have to be extremely scared that they're just going to go up and down the field with explosive plays on you you know this is this this is an offense that that a lot of the time just kind of takes what they what the defense gives them um and if if brock purdy can be pressured and his his internal his internal clock can be sped up he can make a ton of mistakes make a ton of mistakes and, you know, his, his internal clock was sped up a little bit against Texas, and he was, he was making good reads and making good throws. Uh, but Texas was also blitzing a lot in that game. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really know how much OU's going to blitz in this game, but I know they're going to be able to get pressure with just three and four guys. And, you know, Brock Purdy has been playing well, but what are the chances that kind of all goes away the very first time he gets, he gets smacked by Ronnie Perkins? Or the very first time that he has to think about that? Like what? What happens if Nick Benito is flying off the edge every single time he drops back, and there's no, there's nothing they can do about it? That's 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 in the back of his mind. It will be,
0: and so well like, they're going to gonna throw a, a screen pass to Brees Hall, and they're going to they're going to stop <laughs> Nick Benito busting off the edge that much like that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean their their offensive coaches are good. That's the, I mean they they scheme it up. They they protect Purdy very well. Uh, they take shot plays. They send a lot of they keep a lot of tight ends to block, uh, and then when he does get pressured, he's able to get away. And Oklahoma did a great job in the first game, I thought, containing him, not letting him really move around outside the pocket, extending plays where he is really dangerous. And they didn't have to really spy him a whole lot. Um, they had to do that a lot with Sam Ellinger. They've had to do that with, well, they tried to do it with Brewer, but it didn't work very well because Nick Benito wasn't there. Uh, they're probably going to have to do that a lot more this time with Brock Purdy because he is using his legs a lot more in the last few games than he, w- than he was previously. Uh, he is he's kind of feeling himself right now. At the same time, I, I agree. I, I think Oklahoma will speed him up. They will get pressure on him. And I do think that he's going to give Oklahoma secondary some chances, kind of like the first game. Will he give Oklahoma four chances to make interceptions? I hope so. I don't know if that is going to be that many this time around, because I think he's playing very well. And and I think that can transition us into talking about the secondary, because back then, the secondary was still kind of young and kind of getting things going, even though uh, all the most veteran players were the ones that posed the the biggest issues in that game, unless you want to throw out Jaden Davis because he was the man one-on-one with Hutchinson on that 65-yard play, which, you know, you're one-on-one with no safety help and a zero zero technique. I mean, that's, you know what, that's tough. I mean, and he slipped and fell. And I mean, yeah, sure, you want the guy to make the play and not give up a 65-yard touchdown. So yeah, that was on him on that play. Uh, but now you got, you know, I mentioned earlier, DJ Graham's more involved now. He's getting more snaps at corner. You got Woody Washington playing a lot more. He's, he's taking more of a, a starter's role compared to back then. Uh, and then again, I mentioned Trey Norwood, who's getting a lot more run now. We're coming off a game where Buki didn't play because uh, I believe COVID stuff. I have no reason to believe he's not going to be back in the starting line at this time. I'm sure he's going to get a lot of snaps. But uh, hopefully he's feeling like he needs to make up for his poor play against iowa state the first time around i you won't be surprised to find that i made a list when i was rewatching the game of all the bad things he did in the game and i'd be happy to go through them but at the same time we've embarrassed the guy enough i don't know if i need to let's just say there was five to six things that were really bad in that game most of them happening in the first half he cleaned things up a little bit after halftime so hopefully he plays better uh so yeah i mean i'm not sure how much there is to talk about this because the oklahoma secondary is playing better have not been as challenged though recently by really any good passing attacks. This will be the first quarterback they've seen that can really exploit them, I think, through the air since Texas Ellinger. Since Ellinger, Ellinger, yeah. Um, so I mean, this is this is to me this. I mean, aside from tackling Brees Hall, not surprisingly, this is the game. Can Oklahoma can they actually cover, and can they make tackles and get guys to the ground because they did not get guys to the ground against Iowa state it was, anything on the secondary you want to talk about
1: yeah I mean just it was super bizarre especially in the first half of that game in October guys in the secondary were just tripping all over them so they were slipping a lot DTY slipped on two occasions down the field uh, that that resulted in explosive plays for Iowa State um, I remember guys slipping in the backfield trying to trying to tackle Brees Hall and stuff too so uh, kind of curious if if that's going to have any sort of effect at all, or if that had an effect um, that's going to be corrected this time around. Um, I, I just I kind of want to just run through some numbers here because this is the first time this season I have you know some of these SP plus numbers and um, a lot of this really does you know kind of say what I what I've been trying to communicate here that this game really does come down to OU just kind of containing Brees Hall. It really does. Lee, OU's defense this season outside of you know outside of of giving up the the explosive play you know every now and then really kind of has rounded into maybe an elite unit in college football it's it's really good you know they're um they're seventh in the country in success rate allowed um you would have told me that two seasons ago you know that they would be uh up there with this speed after the 2018 season I don't know if I would have believed that uh, they're second in the country in passing downs success rate allowed. Uh, they're seventh in the country in overall havoc rate. That's, that's tackles for loss sacks, forced fumbles, interceptions, passes, defended seventh in the country. Overall, Lee, They're third in the country in stuff rate. That is uh, that that's runs that are, that are, that are stuffed at the line of scrimmage or a tackle for loss. Uh, they're third in the country and, and get in, and sack rate when they blitz. Um, so this is, a, like, Iowa State, this is a huge test for Iowa State. You know, I, I think it's more of the other way around. Iowa State, it's kind of a prove-it game for them. Um, because, you know, th- this, is an, this is an Oklahoma defense that has shown a completely different gear since they played in Ames two and a half months ago. Um, and, frankly, OU is going to present size and speed and a challenge that Iowa State just has not seen this season. And, that, and that, that, you know, that's including October 3rd. Um, I think OU is really, really poised. You know, my, like when you when you look at the matchups for this game, and I look at I look at the X's and O's, I, I think OU's defense is really poised to have success in this game. Um, that doesn't mean that Iowa State. You know, they practice too. I'm sure they're going to have stuff that that's schemed up that that works really well for them. Uh, but after a while, the stuff that's schemed up, you you can't live an entire game on that. After a while, it is going to come down to they're going to have to run inside zone at some point in time, and and when you do that, it's their guys against OU's guys, and OU's guys are a lot better. They're a lot better. Um, so unless unless Iowa State comes out with, you know, with one of the most masterful offensive game plans I've ever seen that totally neutralizes what Oklahoma can do up front, I, I just I I really see Oklahoma's defense getting getting the better of Iowa State's offense the majority of the time in this game.
0: See and I think we just have a a disagreement on the degree to which Iowa State's offense is good cuz I I think Iowa State's got the I mean next to Oklahoma it's it's the best offense in the Big 12. I think I they mean, have a good offense. A it's
1: not an elite offense. It's it's not one of the better offenses we've seen in the Big 12 over the last handful of seasons. It's not. They're they're good. They they're fine. They're mm.
0: experienced. They move the chains, but they're not explosive. I think it's I think I mean yeah, I, obviously it's like been Oklahoma, Oklahoma State putting up a lot of points and yards. Not as much this year for Oklahoma State, but balance, able to run, pass, good quarterback. I I think Iowa State's offense is is really good. It's in, I, in the recent big calling call it really
1: good is I I just I don't. That's just not correct. It, it's not. It's it's a good offense. It's 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 a good offense for the weird twenty twenty season. Uh, but no, I, I think their offense, Iowa State's offense, is just as good as it has been the last two seasons. I, I don't really think it's it, it's that much better.
0: See, I mean, it was the it was the next. It was probably the second best offense last year in the Big Twelve. I mean, I'm, they averaged six and a half yards per play last year. They're averaging six and a half yards per play this year.
1: You know, exactly. And, and this they're,
0: Oklahoma- they're pretty much exactly the same as last year. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I'm I'm comparing it to Oklahoma, who is is not is not the same Oklahoma we've seen, you know, recently. And I'm not even saying, like, I, know, I'm so. not
1: saying, I'm not saying, like, OU, like, what they've shown on offense this season, it's not, it's not extremely better than what Iowa State, like, the results, actually. But OU's ceiling is much, much higher, much higher. I think anyone with eyes can see that.
0: Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I just, you know. Yeah, I, I still think they got a better quarterback. Uh, even though I, I like Purdy a lot, I think, I think Rattler's got a lot more talent. Rattler's Rattler is significantly better than Brock Purdy. Purdy's more more athletic than Rattler is. He can move better. He's he got that move, on him.
1: He, he he can move better, but like I when Purdy is tasked with sitting in the pocket and throwing the football, and I understand that he has played he's played well the last three games, but when he is tasked with sitting in the pocket and diagnosing coverage and delivering on time throws to receivers, he's not good. He just
0: isn't. Yeah. No, I, I just, I disagree. I think he's, I mean, the last three games, I mean, he's completing something like 77% of his passes. I, I just, I think he's, I think he's, he's, I got think like he's a better yards per game. Seven I think he's Charlie no Brewer, picks. but a better athlete. I think he's a, I think he's a better thrower than Charlie Brewer. He's got, he's got a better arm. He's, I think he's, I, like he's, he's, he's more dynamic.
1: He's, mar- he's, he's marginally, he's a marginally better thrower. I like I just
0: Now I also think he's got better players around him than Charlie Brewer's. He got. does. I think he's got a better he got a better offensive coordinator that is putting him in good positions. So I I mean this is you mentioned this is a test for Iowa State. I, I think this is a test for Oklahoma's defense. They haven't faced a good offense really since maybe Texas. I, I mean, like they've been getting all these good numbers against team. I mean, we've talked about it ever since I mean, I don't know, probably the first, you know, three or four games into the year that this big twelve in 2020 offensively is not good and overall i mean team wise it's it's not that good either yeah and part so of i that, mean I, I think
1: it's a test for both sides part of us saying that is like it's some of the evidence of the big 12 not being good on offense is that iowa state is the second best offense in the big 12 that's evidence that the big 12 is bad at offense
0: i, I guess but i mean i i think they've got again i've i've never been a big ellinger guy i i get it but i like whenever Brock Purdy's not I mean, for whatever reason, start of the year, first half of the year, I mean, he was making weird, boneheaded, but he's figured it out the last three weeks. Like whenever he is on, he is he is easily uh I think I mean I think Rattler's the best quarterback in the in the conference, but I think Purdy's easily the second best quarterback. And and you got uh, easily, Brees Hall no. is really I Hall who's really mean, good.
1: I I still think Ellinger is better than Purdy. Ellinger pre snap is just is so much better than Purdy.
0: No, I, I mean, I just disagree. I think both guys have, uh, have offensive coaches that are kind of spoon-feeding stuff for them. And great, it's college. So, I mean, Lincoln Riley's doing the same thing with Spencer Rattler. I mean, he's putting Spencer Rattler in great positions, like he put Jalen Hurts in great positions, like he put Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, et cetera. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I think Texas's offense is so generic. I mean, it's, it's run left, run right, RPO. Sam, hit that five-yard out. Take a shot here and there, where it seems like uh, Iowa State they use motion a lot more, they shift a lot more. There just there seems a little bit more. I guess it's just a little bit more dynamic than I think what Texas brings to the table. I think but what what Ellinger's got going for him is he can run and he can run people over, and that makes him a little more. Yeah.
1: I think Iowa State's offensive staff have gotten every ounce of ability out of the eleven guys that they put out there, and, and I think I guess and
0: I'm I'm more afraid of that than I am of Texas. I, I I'm always more concerned I'm, or afraid of, of well coached teams.
1: I'm not. I am not because better players in college football are, are gonna win the game a vast majority of the time. A vast majority of the time. And I guess like the the, the thing that I where kind of we diverge is that OU has, ha, has has the biggest ace up their sleeve that you can have in college football. And that's a dominant defensive line that is dotted with NFL players. And Iowa State didn't have a single NFL guy blocking them. That's a problem. That's a huge problem for Iowa State. That is the well, I don't problem know about Iowa State's.
0: Are we, are we sure Iowa State doesn't have any offensive linemen that are going to play in the NFL? I don't know that.
1: It's a pre- pretty, pretty damn good bet.
0: I don't know. I mean, apparently they're pretty good. Again, they're up for the, up for the Moore Award. I mean, OU won it a couple of years ago. So, I mean, they must have some decent guys. And, yes, you're right. But at the same time, a well-schemed, well-coached offense can neutralize a good pass rush especially if the secondary they're going against is not very good which Oklahoma secondary has played better but we're not so sure how good they really are because they have not faced anybody that can challenge them really since Texas and so that's my worry yeah they might be able to get after Brock Purdy but if Trey Brown can't cover or if Trey Norwood can't cover or if Buki gets beat like it's not going to matter they're going to get the ball out and there's going to be a big play. And they're going to get yardage.
1: That defensive line allows, allows Trey Brown and Buki to get away with not covering well. I guess that's kind of like, I, I just, I think, yeah. I think OU's advantage in the trenches when, when OU is on defense and Iowa State is on offense is vast. It's, it's, it's as big as it, as it is against all the other teams in the Big 12. And it's even more so this time around because you add the Ronnie Perkins angle. And like that, that has made a huge difference. Like it really has this season. Um, I know mm-hmm. it's just one guy, but he's just—I mean, watch the guy. The guy is physically dominating <laughs>
0: people. Um, a,
1: another, a, but another, he should—but
0: he should come back next year though, because he's not ready for the NFL. Yeah, because all, all he does is just—all
1: he does is just—he uses his physicality. He doesn't—he doesn't have any pass rush moves. That's what I'm saying. Um, but I did—I did, I did want to break this too. Ronnie Perkins is getting pressure—is getting pressure 16% of the time. 16% of his pass rushes. Chase Young last year was at 18%. So you you can't tell me that this is that Ronnie Perkins not being there is not a massive deal. It is. It's a huge
0: deal. That's a good stat. Ronnie Perkins That's being there stat. can
1: absolutely wreck Iowa State's game plan.
0: Great. And I like
1: mean, and Jaquan Bailey and Will McDonald are good awesome players debate. for Iowa State. Yeah. They are not good enough to wreck Oklahoma's offensive game plan.
0: This is good stuff. I mean, your perspective. I threw a bit of a you know, a pushback, and and we'll let the listeners decide where they stand. I like it. That was good. That was a good back and forth. Let's talk the other side of the ball. Oklahoma's offense versus Iowa State's defense. So I think the first thing we can talk about in this situation is, uh, you know, you just you just finished up talking about Ronnie Perkins. Might as well bring up Ramondre Stevenson. That's the the guy who's back now for Oklahoma. He was not there for the first game, although it's looking like and there's been no updates at all on Monday. Lincoln Riley was asked about Austin Stogner simply said, no update. Uh, you know, I'm not banking on him playing. I don't think he's going to play just a gut feeling. Uh, and he led Oklahoma in receiving the first time. He had five catches for 74 yards. So you throw in a, a really good running back, but you lose potentially Spencer Rattler's most reliable pass catcher. Granted, he's played the last couple of games without him. Um, so anyways, Ramondre Stevenson in, probably Stogner out. Uh, to get the ball rolling, I will say I was surprised upon the rewatch of the OU Iowa State game from October. I thought TJ Pledger actually played a lot better than I remembered. Uh, Seth McGowan had a couple of actually pretty good runs, but he also had a couple of really boneheaded, like head scratching, like, oh my God, you're go, how do you not see where this play is blocked up? Now you're losing three yards. Um, That I don't think Ramondre Stevenson would make those mistakes, but it's looking back. Oklahoma was not stymied on the ground. They actually did run the ball okay against Iowa State. Hopefully throwing in Ramondre Stevenson and mixing in Pledger uh, makes it even better this time around, although Iowa State's defense has stopped the run very well this season. Uh, I don't know if you have stats on that, but I mean, they're one of the best rush defenses, I think, in college football at this point. Yeah, I and it's.
1: I got some really good Iowa. I got some really good Iowa State defensive numbers here, um, and so this is this is actually an area of the game where I'm I'm not as sanguine. This is this is an area where I'm like where OU's offense I feel like has a lot to prove going in. Maybe this has a lot to do with just you know the last time we saw OU's offense, um, they just they looked they looked so impotent against against Baylor. And the thing that gives me pause is that the reason they looked impotent against Baylor is because Baylor was essentially playing Iowa State's defense. Um, and I mean, not exactly, but a lot of the same principles, kind of the same rush three, drop eight guys into, in, into zone coverage. And that's what Iowa State does. And Iowa State actually does this really well. And so uh, some numbers here just to illustrate sort of the challenge that, that Oklahoma's offense is going to be facing here. And I think Iowa State's defense actually is playing a lot better now than they were back in October when, when OU first played them. So here we go. Iowa Stately, they're 11th in the country overall in SP plus defense. Uh, that would be the highest uh, in the Big 12 since TCU was in the top 10 in 2017 in that metric. Um, they are, uh, Iowa State is 20th in the country in rushing success rate allowed, but they are 10th in the country in rushing uh, rushing marginal explosiveness, which means they do not give up explosive plays on the ground at all. Um Another thing, uh, this is this is the thing that absolutely kind of uh, blows my mind about Iowa State's defensely. They are 17th in the country in sack rate, which means they can get after the quarterback. They sack the quarterback a, a lot. They are 123rd in the country in the amount of time or in their blitz rate, which means they get they get pressure without blitzing, and they're they're able to sack the quarterback. You know, when the top one of the best 17 teams in the country in, in that in that regard. Um, this is statistically the best Iowa state defense that OU has faced up to this point. Um, and it's an Iowa state, te- it's an Iowa state defense that is really well coached. Um, and it's an Iowa state defense that, that does have, that has four really, really good players. Eisworth, Rose, Bailey, and McDonald are four really, really good players. Um, and you know, that's something that you always have to be sort of skittish about. um, so, Lee, like, what do you think? Do you think Iowa State is going to go into this thing trying to maybe emulate a lot of the things that Baylor did, or is that a little too outside of their comfort zone? Um, because where I feel really comfortable with OU's defense going up against Iowa State's offense in this game, I kind of feel like Iowa State's defense may stymie OU's offense a, like kind of in a similar way. Um, the only X factor I can think of here really is Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, will they not be able to tackle Ramondre? And and kind of my thoughts on that were were blunted a little bit two weeks ago when Baylor generally had no had no trouble getting a Ramondre behind the line of scrimmage. Um, what do you think? Like, is, is Ramondre Stevenson going to make that big of a difference? I think he could, but also at the same time, I, I'm kind of confident in Iowa State's ability to be able to rally to the ball. and And even, like, one guy is not going to be able to bring down Stevenson, but, you know... They got good players on their team, and this is this is a top eleven defense in the country per SP
0: plus. Yeah, this is a pretty interesting question you pose because I mean, let's be you know fair and balanced. Because yeah, for how many weeks this year do we say Ramondre Stevenson? You get him in there, and it's like boom, it's going to be a huge difference. Uh, he's so much better than the other running backs, and and I think. I think we have been proven to be correct. I think you can see it with your own eyes. It, the, the Baylor game, you hope, is kind of the outlier because Baylor played so well. But at the same time, you, you pose the question: will, will Ramondre make that much of a difference in this Iowa State game? Whereas, like you know, earlier we figured, oh, if Oklahoma had Ramondre Stevenson against Iowa State the first time, they probably win the game. Yeah. Upon rewatch, uh, yeah, I, I still probably would agree with that. But I, I'm not as strong in my opinion on that as before because again I think TJ Pledger and McGowan played better than I remember them playing I
1: thought there were I I thought there were like five and six yard gains that McGowan and Pledger had in that game that would have been 20 yarders for Stevenson or yeah I, I, I think if you if you insert Ramondre Stevenson into the exact same plays the exact same blocking scheme and holes that OU had available to them in that game I think
0: Ramondre Stevenson would have had a whole lot more success than what OU brought out there. Sure. And so I do think that Stevenson will make, uh, I don't want to say a really big difference, but he's going to be a, a, a difference maker. I'll put it that way in this game. Because even though Iowa State's really good at stopping the run, the way they play defense and the, s- the setup where they rush three and drop eight and they play three-down linemen, and they have their linebackers kind of back, and there's a lot of space there. There's sometimes not a whole lot of guys in the box. I do like that. I like Oklahoma's offense running against that scheme because Iowa State relies on aggressive safeties coming up in the hole, in the alleys, and helping with with the run, and and they're very good at that, and they're going to do that against Oklahoma. But I do like the idea of Ramondre having a little bit more space to potentially make certain guys miss it's not going to be all jumbled up and, and, and bunched up um, and also there was times in that game where I think TJ Pledger and McGowan should have gone outside and followed their blocks and maybe try to get the edge where they didn't they tried to cut it up inside and I think Ramondre maybe he'll see that on tape maybe he'll think okay I can get to the edge here and I can exploit it because Iowa State on the edge you get on the edge off of them they have their corners so deep and playing that zone coverage there's some room to run there so I do think that Ramondre Stevenson will be a difference maker in this game and you asked you know will will they do what will Iowa State do what Baylor did you know will they take some principles I don't think so I think they're going to play what they do I think they're going to play their defense because it's it's what they do they do it so well because they know it works uh, and, and so I don't think Oklahoma has to worry about them looking like Baylor uh, but I, I the difference in what Baylor does and what Iowa state does as far as, uh, now, as, as you kind of, I don't know if you have more to talk about Ramondre, but when, when I look at that Baylor game, Baylor's still, they played a lot of zone. They, they mixed a lot of zone and man, but there was a lot of man and their defensive backs were very sticky. I mean, they were, they could not uh, Oklahoma's receivers had a tough time getting open. Iowa state plays a lot of zone. You, you have a stat about how much zone they play in the first game. Rattler was able to find guys finding holes in the zone and hitting certain players on schemed, designed out routes against soft coverage. And that's going to be there again. I think it's still going to be there again. It's very rare where an Iowa State corner or safety will be up on the line jamming you, playing straight man-to-man coverage. And when that happens i hope oklahoma's got a guy out there like a marvin mims who potentially can take advantage of it and and make a great play one-on-one and beat a guy and and get an explosive shot play um i'm kind of rambling at this point because i'm talking more about the the secondary and the way they play but um as i look, here I'll, I'll pause and let you jump in in case you have any more Ramondre talk if not uh, the most logical follow-up to uh what i just said there would be what <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I was just say I'm, I'm. Thank, yeah, thanks for bringing up the the zone thing. Uh, that's Statley Iowa State plays zone eighty five percent of their dropbacks. That's the fourth most in the country. Uh, so tons of zone. You're you're not if 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 Spencer Rattler sees a lot of man on Saturday, that's that's going to be Iowa State going against what what they do. Um, and and I, I I tend to agree with you. I think it's really unlikely that Iowa State is going to change a ton of what they do into this game. Why you know why would you do that? It's you know, Baylor didn't change anything last year. They just played their their same old, you know, hard-nosed assignment-sound defense. Um, the, the same thing is probably going to happen here. Um, it's just going to be done with a lot more familiarity on their part of what Oklahoma wants to do. But, of course, that X factor is, you know, they're, they're familiar with tackling, you know, Seth McGowan and TJ Pleasure, guys who are both, you know, under six feet tall and aren't huge. And now they're going to have to tackle a guy who's, like, 250 pounds and, and can run pretty well and that's that's different that, that's going to be a lot different Ramondre was good against iowa state last year he had quite a bit of success against them last season um but man i it's it's hard for me to like it's oh you really needed that west virginia game and that's fine we haven't even talked once about that game being us us doing an entire oh, yeah. show again last week and then it, it it being canceled of course less than 24 hours later um OU's offensive line, I, that was the worst game they played all season against Baylor. Um, and I just like I it kind of gives me the heebie jeebies a little bit. Because offense is offense is so dependent on timing and execution um and and just kind of and almost being on a roll, being the, the consistency and momentum. And OU's played one game in the last month and they didn't look great. They didn't look great on offense. And I and I think that's kind of where the where the hesit, you know, where the hesitance is coming from on my end, I, I think the chances that OU's offense kind of stalls out in this game fairly consistently, I think, are pretty high. Actually, um, or at least that's that's the feeling that I'm getting. Um, who knows? I mean, I they, they could come out and they could play as well as they did against you know, Texas Tech or I'm trying to think they played. You know, who are there any real estate okay, except for they, the third no, quarter? Right? Yeah, the first yeah. and fourth quarters, maybe. Yeah, you know, I. If if OU like like this is what I said before we got on the podcast. If OU comes into this game and they play well and they play to their ability and if the Baylor game was just kind of an aberration on on defense. If OU plays their best game, they will win this game. They will. Um, the only problem is the last time we saw the offense, it's just they they really didn't give us a whole lot to be excited about. Um, so I think what you're hoping is that that was a fluke, essentially. But, geez, when they've only
0: played once in the last month, ugh,
1: it's 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 kind of hard yeah, to get and, that out
0: of your head. And you're not the only person that thinks that because Lincoln Riley, you can tell with what he's been saying, and and he, <laughs> I mean, before the West Virginia game, <clears throat> he told us he's like, we got to play, we got to play. We the only way we can get better and get to where we need to be is we got to play games. There's only really so much you can do at practice, and he's had to get creative. He said it this week now. They've had to get creative, get really energetic, do different things just to kind of keep the guys engaged because they've only played, you know, the one game in the last three weeks or so. Um, and to give you even more heebie-jeebies about what this Iowa State defense does, I let's ex- talk about and explain kind of what they, what they do. I mean, watching their, their tape, obviously the first game and then a little bit of the West Virginia game. It's just it's I want to say it's simple, but it's not simple what they do. Uh, I guess the simple idea of what they do when they play zone, it's it's a lot of cover three. Um, they they have their star, they have Eisworth kind of roam around. He can play a lot of different spots on the field, but essentially, it seems like they'll they'll rush three guys sometimes. Which you mentioned earlier that they get a lot of pressure with three guys. I think a reason why they're able to get a lot of pressure is one, they have some talented players, but and a lot of the times specifically on third down and third downs the, the big down in this game because this is whenever iowa state kind of has some fun they'll they'll bring six players to the line of scrimmage sometimes seven players to the line of scrimmage and they'll look like they're playing man across the board and there's nobody in the middle of the field and it's like oh wow and we saw this against oklahoma in the first game and spencer Rattler did a very nice job because it was a zero blitz and that's whenever he made that throw to Austin Stogner for you know, 30 yards down the field. Uh, that was one of the times where Iowa State showed it, and they brought it. Way more often, though, they'll show it, and they won't bring it. They'll drop a couple guys. They'll, they'll blitz from a different part of the field. Um, but then when they blitz, they'll replace that person with somebody else dropping. It's, it's very creative, and you know, on third down again, it's it's very it's consistent. You know, they'll they'll show six, seven guys in the line of scrimmage. You don't know who's rushing. You don't know who's dropping. Uh, it, it I think this confuses the offensive linemen because there's all these players right there at the line of scrimmage in front of them, they don't know which gaps they're gonna have to be, you know, they're gonna be occupied by rushers. And so whenever the ball is snapped and then you have certain players rush, certain players drop out, it can confuse the offensive linemen and maybe they'll they'll think one you know a player's coming from the the like inside them but then they'll drop out and somebody will rush to the the outside of them and they weren't ready for it and that that split second's all it takes for a guy like Jaquan Bailey to have an edge and that's probably a big reason why they're able to get so much pressure with three because a lot of the times they'll rush three but sometimes the uh, the offensive line doesn't know where the rush is coming from it's it's really creative and not only will it confuse the offensive lineman, it'll obviously confuse the quarterback. It, it has the opportunity to uh, because the quarterback can assume a certain coverage and then it's not there. They can assume man coverage, but then they'll drop into a zone. Uh, they'll show you man. And they'll actually be man. And the one time that they show man, you'll get blitz and you won't have enough time to get it out. Um, it's. I think Iowa State's probably done versions of this over the last three or four years, but this is the this is the best it's looked to me on tape. The The most... The most they've disguised things. The most they'll 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 show you four or five guys, and then they'll blitz the boundary corner, and but then they'll replace him with with a linebacker, dropping into cover three, you know, and in, in, into the flats there. And even though they're only rushing four, it's one player that wasn't accounted for before the the snap, and he could be blindsiding the quarterback, or ends up being a great run helper, which happened the first time against OU one time when they blitzed the boundary corner. Iowa State's defense is such an impressive unit, so well coached, like the offense. It's fun to watch. It's not going to be fun to watch, though, against Oklahoma, unless Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley shows that he knows how to attack it, which there are some things you can do to attack it. Oh yeah, um, The pop passes work a lot better. Uh, remember, the little, remember that shovel pass to Seth McGowan in the first game? Yeah, haven't seen Where you that got like yards since then.
1: We saw that they twice, ran it in, that twice game. in that
0: game. Yeah, uh, West Virginia ran a version of that. That actually was like their one good play with Letty Brown. They only got like twelve yards on it, but still, it, it worked. So, and the reason why that works is because it works whenever Iowa State drops eight and only rushes three. Because once they read pass, all those guys drop out, and there's all this space, in, uh, you know, up front, and they can do the shovel pass, and it ends up being like a draw play in a way. The one way, the one real
1: way to take it to Iowa State's defense is to run the ball. Run the ball. I mean that's that's how you break them down, um,
0: and that's how Oklahoma used to take and it, that, guess, and, and that's so, the thing you know, really in the, in the until Baker Mayfield day
1: really until the the game this season on October third. That's why Iowa State's defense had never really given OU that much trouble is because they had always been able to run it on them, and nobody no one else had really been able to run it on them. Um, and that's kind of what you're hoping for is that with Ramondre Stevenson there that the that this will change and there, there's a chance that will happen. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. They're you know, Iowa State's defensive line. They they're playing well. They that's they got some good players on their defensive line. Um, I I thought they would take a step back, especially with Ray Lima graduating, and that's that's not the case. They're they're better up front than they were uh, when Lima was there. So, uh, you know, it's it's this is a good experienced defense going up against an OU offense that is still young in some areas and still inexperienced, and they still only played nine games. You know, and and they haven't played in a long time. So they're not coming into this game with with a lot of momentum and and a lot of good feelings. So, um, you know, if if I was Lincoln Riley, this would be a heavy, heavy Ramondre Stevenson game plan. Um, I I would be thinking as many creative ways to get him the ball as I possibly can. I I mean, I I want Stevenson to at least catch five or six balls in this game. Um, uh, Lee Ramondre is averaging seven yards a touch uh, since he is back. And that is, I mean, that, that, is, that is significant. That is something that Iowa State has to game plan around. Um, and if, 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 if OU and, and their running game and Ramondre Stevenson, if they're able to break off some chunk yardage against Iowa State's traditional looks, Iowa State is going to have to change up what they want to do, and, that, and that's going to spell, you know, could spell disaster for them um so I I I really do think like Iowa State is going to come into this game thinking to themselves we really need to slow down Ramondre Stevenson because that's a huge key of the game if OU can run the ball this thing's over this thing is over um Iowa State has to stop OU's run game and it's it's going to be a lot harder for them this time around hopefully hopefully we're hoping that the that the offensive line can you know can recover and play a lot better than they did against Baylor
0: you know this may happen every single game I don't know uh, whether it's Lincoln Riley or Bill no Knowing Bill Bedenboe, it probably happens every single game. But this is a game where, and granted, all the big games over the years for the Oklahoma, you could do this. You could probably make the same speech. But I do think this is a game where you go to the offensive lineman and you say, listen, guys, this is your game. They rush three all the time. They will not get to Spencer rushing three. You make certain of that. They will not touch Spencer. They will need to send the house to get to Spencer Rattler. You will not allow them to get there whenever they're rushing three and there's five of you. You will keep Spencer clean. And in the running game, you will impose your will because that will kill their spirit. This is your game. It is on the offensive line, as far as I'm concerned. Offensively, yes, Spencer Rattler's going to have to play well. I'm encouraged by the way he played the first time around against an Iowa State defense he had never seen before. In his third college start, his first road start, he was patient. He mostly was on the money with his his ball placement, aside from a couple of throws. Um, I His came- lack of patience against against Baylor was troubling, which is kind of interesting because later in the year he, he – and how much of that was them not practicing? How much of that was him not taking Bagler that seriously? I think that probably factored in a little bit to it as well. Um, he's he's definitely going to take Iowa State more seriously, and, and I like that he's got film of himself against them the first time around. What were you going to say?
1: I came away from my rewatch today thinking that may have been the best Rattlers played this season. He was awesome in that game. He was awesome outside of you know, outside of you know the pick to end the game. I just you it's it's pretty hard for a for a freshman you know to play to play that much better in a game I mean it it, of course and we talked about it a lot at the time but just the dimes and the amazing throws that he made that weren't caught um I mean it's he he he, remember
0: Obi Obi allo remember that ob yeah that's back when he played
1: Obi and I mean yeah two NFL throws Uh, Obi and then the one from Theo when he was on the run and he just he kind of threw a rainbow just dropped it right in the bucket and
0: you know, it just yeah, uh, just it hit Theo right in the hands. It was too much. Uh, just real quick, I this is a, a total sidebar, but someone to have to do with what we're talking about. I I think the uh, QBR rating on ESPN is is a stupid rating. I, I I think QBR is a dumb stat. I I don't like it. I like passer rating. Uh, I and here's another example of why and granted i'm not prepared for this i I could show you other examples of why but here's just a quick example of like qbr is dumb first first game oklahoma iowa state spencer rattler 25 of 36 300 yards two touchdowns had the one pick his qbr was 85 that's that's pretty darn good really good brock purdy 12 of 24 254 one touchdown no picks qbr 87.5 QBR says that Purdy played better in that game than Spencer Rattler. I have eyes. No he didn't. No he didn't. Spencer Rattler was better. QBR is dumb. It is a dumb metric. Eh, I,
1: Anyways, I mean I that, over that time suffer. it's like, you know, you can only like stats are gonna be imperfect no matter what you do. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it was I Spencer Rattler is when Spencer Rattler is, is very clearly a much better thrower of the football than Brock Purdy is. That's, it's not even up for debate. It's not close.
0: Clearly, QBR doesn't take into account uh, dropped touchdown passes by your teammates and dropped interceptions by the opposing team. Apparently, that's not a metric either that, that QBR probably should take into account, considering that they try to be all as analytical as possible.
1: Um, what, this just popped in my head. One more thing before we get kind of derailed here. Uh, don't be surprised at all if we see a lot of Mikey Henderson in this game. Um,
0: oh, yeah, he wasn't involved the first time around. Good call.
1: Uh, just because, like, it, it wouldn't surprise me if we see a lot of that two-back set uh, in the shotgun where, the, you know, where, where Rattler has the two backs to his right and his left, uh, and they can just do a lot. They, they killed teams with that at the end of last season as well. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if we see a lot of Mikey Henderson, or at least an attempt to get him the ball in space, because uh, Mikey is a really big guy, and he can run. As we, as we have seen you know so far this season, that's another guy Jeremiah Hall was able they were able to get hall open on on a lot of the kind of like those little rub routes that they like to run for him kind of out of the backfield i wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that you know thrown to Henderson three or four times, maybe give him a couple of carries uh, I, I think yeah I think the top I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if the top two guys and carries in this game are Stevenson and Henderson wouldn't surprise me
0: Yeah it's a good call. I'm glad you brought him up. Um, just because he was I out know- for
1: Baylor so it, it's possible that you know I, I thought it, it kind of looked like in the Oklahoma State game that he was poised to become a, a pretty big weapon on the offense um, and then you know out for Baylor so I, I think right it, it's likely that Riley is going to pick up right where they left off against Oklahoma State and they, they got to get him the ball he's he's a guy who he's a freight train with the ball in his hands and he's, he's tough to tackle so hopefully they, they can Here's- they can get the ball in his hands at least five or six times
0: Well, speaking of him, here's a hypothetical for you. And I don't know when this happened. It may have happened weeks ago. It may have happened today. I don't know. I'm looking at Oklahoma's official website and at the roster. And for the first time, I'm seeing, again, I haven't noticed this until now. So, again, maybe they changed this weeks ago. Uh, All of the H-backs are listed now as tight end slash H-back. And I bring that up because before it was just H-back. And obviously, like, Austin Stogner is a tight end. I mean, like, he plays – like, they have him do different things than Jeremiah Hall. You don't see Jeremiah Hall really doing like running the same routes uh it, same with Braden Willis Braden Willis would run passing routes and concepts that you won't see Hall and Henderson using, but here's a hypothetical for you if Stogner's out again, what are the odds that obviously I hope Braden Willis is fine and he can fill in just nicely, but what if Mikey Henderson's a guy that they can use like they use stogner can he we haven't seen him do that, but I wonder if that would be something that that Riley would Play around with because he obviously likes Henderson a lot, and I don't know. I mean, like, kind of gave me butterflies. Basically, he what just
1: said that. I mean, if 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 he can and he can be effective doing it, you're talking about one of the better weapons, one of the more valuable weapons that OU has had in a really long time. If he's able to do that,
0: um, because unfortunately, Braden Willis just doesn't have anywhere near the same sort of like. I guess feel for it as like Stogner. I don't know what it is. I just. Braden Willis a, reminds me. He's a super of, good athlete.
1: Braden Braden Willis is more of the mold of Iowa State's tight ends. He's a big guy. He's a long strider. Um, you you want you want him matched up on a guy who is small. Um, because yeah. I mean, if you remember, like I know a lot of people forget this, but Braden Willis made some pretty pretty disgusting plays last year. Like, and that was in the was it the TCU game where he caught he caught it like at the ten and he dragged a couple of guys and then, and oh, then yeah. full extension so Brayden Willis is a is, is an athlete he's good
0: yeah no he is um, he, he's a he's a Greek god the way he's built so
1: it's, it's uh, yeah we I, I don't I don't know if we've if we've really seen you know Brayden Willis fully taken advantage of yet in this offense I mean because he's he's a guy I mean he's 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 one of like 15 guys who can get the ball at any point in time um but I'm glad you brought up Stogner. I'm, I'm, you know, he was a pretty big part of that first game, especially as a as a safety valve on third down. And uh I, I you got to ask yourself, was that a, you know, was that a big factor in OU not looking great against Baylor? Um Does that make things easier on Iowa State's defense with Stogner not being there as well? So I mean, that's you know, take yeah. away, you know, take away Stogner, add Stevenson, or add Stevenson, take away Stogner. Um, Either way, it's, it's, it's super interesting. This, this is the matchup that I'm most interested in going into this game is, is the OU offense versus the Iowa State defense um, because I think OU's offense has shown a really high ceiling this season, um, but they've also shown a propensity to be maybe shut down by defenses who are really well coached and know exactly what they're doing.
0: Just real quick, I, I will give credit to Charleston Rambo because that was back when Rambo was getting a lot more Play and a lot more targets, and also uh, Drake Stoops, who was kind of early on. But both of those guys in that game had had really good fourth down catches to keep drives alive. Stoops earlier in the game, Rambo late in the game. To, so
1: that game also it, anyways, featured I, the only uh, the only bomb that Rambo has caught this season against a Power Five opponent or against a <laughs> an FBS opponent.
0: It was on the third yeah. play of the game, and then he drew a pass interference later. Whenever the ball was underthrown by uh, Rattler, he should have thrown a little, a little farther. Uh, the last thing I have on on OU's offense that I wanted to bring up that, that really stood out to me re-watching that game, and I wanted to save it for this discussion point. Um, Spencer Rattler, we've talked a lot about how well he played in that game. And I think we talked about it a little bit in the last podcast. Right now to me, at least against Baylor, because we haven't seen him play much, um, he doesn't look as nimble and as, and as athletic as he did uh in that first game against Iowa State I, he looked like a different player athletically against Iowa State uh there was a couple times where he cleverly avoided pressure extended plays would get the first down he had that touchdown run early in the game uh, where he the play broke down and he ran up the gut and scored um he had that incredible Houdini scramble where he was able to avoid like three or four tacklers and then got the first down um, he, he he looked good on that Oklahoma State touchdown run early on in that game where he was able to make a guy miss, but that wasn't, like, that great of a juke. I think that was just – I think it was Trey Sterling. He just – it was, it was not good for him. Uh, to me, against Baylor, he looked like he was stuck in the mud. It, he just – he wasn't moving as much, and it makes me wonder, is this a hip thing from the Kansas game? Is he potentially – a little bit slower, or is this a simple simply? It's late in the year, and people are banged up, and you're not as explosive as you know you are early in the year. I don't know, but he looked a lot different to me athletically than that Iowa State game compared See, to against Baylor.
1: It's so weird to me because I I feel like everyone on OU's offense looked a tad slow against Baylor, and that's kind of like where I'm, what I'm. It it was, it was Ramondre. Ramondre was not running the same way that he had in the games prior to that. Like, I I mentioned that, that play that Weiss, the very first play of the third quarter, where Weiss caught a ball and he turned it up and it looked like he was dragging a truck behind him. And, you know, like it was, it was, it was OU's entire offense. They looked a tad slow. So I I don't know what was going on. It was weird. Um, but like I said, yeah, you, you kind of, you kind of poo pooed Rattler's athletic ability, which, and I don't think he's a great athlete or anything like that, but, um, yeah, I think he's a much better athlete than what he showed against Baylor. Um, it's just, it's yeah, that Baylor game was just weird. I'm, I'm hoping that get, that goes down as just one of the weirder, one of the weirder performances of the last handful of years because it, the game was just odd. the The situation surrounding it, and it it just really seemed like not everybody was was ready to go, and it it, it was clear that they were dealing with some stuff leading up to that game. So, um, yeah, I'm not, I, I'm I'm not. I'm not at all concerned about Rattler's athletic ability. You you you're much more concerned about that than I am.
0: All right. Uh what do you think? Do you want to do uh what do you want to see? Or I honestly I I'm good. Unless you want to do it. No, I, I just, I'd rather like, just talk
1: like I I've already sort of said, like I, I'd really like to see a Ramondre heavy game plan. Um with some with some Mikey Henderson, you know, mixed in along there. And you know, I, I it's I really want to see Spencer Rattler play mistake-free, smart football. I don't want I don't want to see him forcing it down the field when you don't have to. Um, there's, you know, Iowa State's defense is really good, but when you play zone defense, there are holes in the zone. And a quarterback who is patient and has and has receivers that can sit down and find those open holes in the zone, man, you can you can really move the ball quickly downfield if if, if you don't get over aggressive and you know what you're doing. And so I I, I you know. There were instances in that in the Iowa State and Baylor game where Baylor was having a lot of uh, success over the middle of the field, with receivers running over the middle, sitting down, and then you know being able to get chunk yardage on that. Um, Iowa State playing a lot of cover three, that leak concept uh, could potentially come out uh, with Marvin Mims. So, uh, but I think everything's got to start with Ramondre. I, I would really like to see Ramondre touch this, touch the ball twenty-five to thirty times in this game, much like he did against Oklahoma State um get him the ball as many ways as you can creatively and, and then on defense obviously you know you want you want to see them play just sound football you want to see them tackle when they have guys wrapped up you want to see them bring them to the ground um and then really I, I'm just I'm really curious to see if they're going to have anything different uh to throw Iowa State's way regarding just the, the the matchup problems with the height um is Iowa State going to try to do the exact same thing that they did in the first game around trying to isolate Kohler on on Buki and fields and and maybe throwing stuff up downfield trying to take downfield shots on Trey Brown to see if he'll give give them a you know a pass interference or anything like that I'm curious to see what they're going to do in that regard but I Oklahoma's defensive line is going to have a really good game they're 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 going to get to Iowa State fairly consistently in this game um in terms of like in terms of what I think is going to happen um I'm I have two different tracks in this game my my gut is, is is telling me uh to feel uneasy about this game i i have kind of a weird feeling about this game i don't i don't feel great about it um and a lot of it has to do with just with uh, you know narratively it just it it kind of feels like this is setting up perfectly for iowa state they've kind of had like a magical season they lost to louisiana and they got lost by 17 points in the first game and it hasn't hurt them at all um you know they, they lost on the road, uh, you know to Oklahoma State, and that game has been pretty much non consequential as well. Um, it seems like they're you know they haven't won a conference championship in hundred and eight years. I think it's nineteen twelve. I think they've not they won a you know they've won a conference title since the Titanic sank. Um, like I I, I think if you're going to talk yourself into Iowa State winning this game, it's it's because it's it's for narrative reasons, and it's because it's magical season reasons. And I know that sounds kind of silly, but, you know, I, college football can do really weird things sometimes. Uh, if you ask me what my head is telling me, I think Oklahoma's going to win this game by three touchdowns. Um, but like I said, my gut is not saying the same thing. My gut is telling me to be very uneasy about this game.
0: So I have two things kind of at odds right now uh, as we go into this game, just generally speaking. Uh, you know, we talk every once in a while in this game about gambling and sports betting and things like that. And in that aspect, I think Oklahoma in general here is a, not necessarily here. Uh, in general, Oklahoma is a great play at smaller numbers. Uh, this number right now is at five and a half. It's below a touchdown. I, I don't have a lot of confidence anymore in Oklahoma covering multiple touchdowns. But single digits this season right now. I like Oklahoma. I liked Oklahoma in Bedlam. OU was favored by a touchdown. They wanted a blowout. So, you know, and based on that principle, I should, like Oklahoma right here, favored by less than a touchdown against Iowa State. However, the other thing that I'm at odds with is Matt Campbell's done really well against Lincoln Riley ever since Matt Campbell uh, got to Iowa State. And obviously, Lincoln Riley's been at OU. Campbell got to Iowa State a year before uh, Riley took over as a head coach. And, uh, you know, Riley's never covered a game against Matt Campbell as a head coach. That's that's four times, 17, 18, 19 in this year. Uh, if you go back to 2016, before Riley was the head coach and Stoops was still the head coach, but Riley was the offensive coordinator, uh, that was Matt Campbell's first year. Oklahoma didn't cover that game either. Oklahoma won by 10. It was that, that weird game on a Thursday in Ames. And uh, Oklahoma was favored by three touchdowns in that game. So ever since Matt Campbell's gotten to to Ames, He's covered against Oklahoma, no matter what the the number is, and they've won twice outright. So if you're a big believer in against the spread stats, the play here is Iowa State. Uh, but to play devil's advocate, I think this is the shortest spread for an Oklahoma-Iowa State game since Matt Campbell has arrived in Ames. Uh, earlier this year, by the way, you might be wondering, the October game, Iowa State was a seven and a half point dog. Uh, this is two points shorter than that. Uh, not... Uh, not in Ames, obviously it 's going to be in Arlington, so uh that 's the gambling side of it as far as who 's going to win the game. My gut is telling me uh we 've gone over this already, both teams I think are a lot better now than they were back in October when they played. My gut tells me Oklahoma's going to win this game uh but not as much as uh, by as much as what grant thinks I, I think they will win the game by a touchdown or more, so I guess i 'm kind of being uh you know leaving it up to where it could be three but i i I'm kind of thinking you know i if let's put it this way, if if I wasn't somebody who hosted this podcast and knew much about Oklahoma, um, and I was the gambler, I'd, I'd be very confident in Oklahoma minus the points here. I just based on if again if, if let's say if this if this was a an SEC game or something or like a Big Ten game, and I was just going to bet that, and then this is the same kind of scenario, I would be pretty confident. But obviously, we know a lot more about this, and we know the history of Oklahoma against Iowa State with Matt Campbell, and therefore. I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to bet this game. I'm not going to touch it because of Matt Campbell because he's done so well against Oklahoma. But you don't care about that. You care about my gut feeling about who's going to win. I think Oklahoma's going to win the game, again, I think by a touchdown or more. That, that's my gut. Um, but I think you made a good point, though, with the narrative thing. Yeah, it, it is setting up very well for Iowa State, and I'm a lot more bullish on Iowa State than you are heading into this game, even though I do think Oklahoma's still going to win. And I, I think for a lot of the reasons you think, too, Oklahoma just has better players. And I think they got a better quarterback. I think they got, uh, you know, they got some really good players on defense. Uh, but, yeah, like, like probably, like, obviously, you, you've you already said it. you like is, is
1: better at every position except for safety in this game.
0: I don't know. I mean, they might be better. I would say it has pretty good corners, too, I think. Um, and I think they probably have some pretty good – I mean, they're better at linebacker, too. Mike Rose is a better linebacker, I think, than any, anybody Oklahoma's got.
1: I Yeah, I, I think Mike Rose is better than anyone Oklahoma has, but I think, I think Igwebu, White, and uh, – and Asamo are significantly better than, than their other guys is it Orion Vance. Sure. Orion Vance is, he's a, he's a decent player. He's, he's smart and he's well-coached. Uh, he's just, he's not, he's physically just
0: not great. Um, but yeah, I was going to say that you, you bring up a good point though about the narrative thing. I, I think, uh, it's, it's all setting up well for Iowa state. If Iowa state it wins really this is. game,
1: it's because it's Iowa state's year. That that's why like, and it's, you know, and I I wish I could give you more kind of like deep analysis than that, but it uh, matchup to matchup in this game, it really does favor Oklahoma. It does. All right, that's our OU Iowa State Big Twelve Championship preview. Well, the one, hey, what can I add? One more thing. Sorry about that. Um, sure. Maybe maybe the thing that'll that could decide this game when Oklahoma is on offense is are are they able to get touchdowns when they are in the red zone? That is. That's going to be the, the biggest thing. That was, that was one of the things you could point towards in the first game as to maybe why they lost. They, so I, I have a good stat here, Lee. OU got inside Iowa State's 40-yard line eight times in that first game. They scored three touchdowns and had to settle for four field goals. They missed one of them, and they threw a pick. That has got to be better in this game. It's got to be better. Like I, I, I think if you asked Lincoln Riley, he, he would say, yeah, that needs to be a touchdown eight out, eight out of eight times. Um, but here, here's the thing that's going up against one, which is one of Iowa State's strengths um, they are second in the country in goal to touch, go touchdown rate allowed which essentially means they give up they're second best in the country at, at, at allowing touchdowns in the red zone uh, and they are fifth in the country in points allowed once you get inside their 40 yard line that, I mean that's they, they really really put the screws on you you know when when you get close mm-hmm. to the close to the end zone, and so that it's that is where Ramondre Stevenson can make a huge difference in this game.
0: Man, that's really impressive considering the the high percentage of zone they play. Because normally, when you get so close to the the goal line, the best way to counteract that is is playing some version of man and just that's, kind of getting really physical and. I mean, that, granted, there's there's weaknesses of that too because then there's pick plays and you can get guys in good matchups and you can do speed outs and stuff like that. So I mean, obviously that whatever they're doing and I I didn't pay much attention. Granted, because West Virginia didn't get inside the red zone very often the last time I watched them. The philosophy uh, of this defense yeah. is predicated on forcing the offense to nickel and dime its
1: way down the field, which means more plays, which means more uh you know more opportunities for mistakes. And then once you get in th- in the red zone, the space shrinks, and it's a lot easier to defend smaller amounts of space. Yeah, and that's yep. that's the that's the entire idea behind Iowa State's defense. And it can it's one of those things where if you have a dominant power running game in the in the red zone, that can be the big equalizer. If they can't tackle Ramondre Stevenson in the red zone, they just can't tackle him. Um, so right. I mean, we'll see right. that. That is where Ramondre Stevenson is going to be huge in this game, is converting once they get deep into Iowa State's territory. Because in the first game, that you, you could make a, a, a pretty good argument that that's what that's what got OU beat was was them not was them having to settle for field goals, settle for field goals in this game, and they can definitely get beat
0: for sure. So what you're saying is, if Oklahoma loses the toss, Iowa State defers, Sooners get the ball first, drive down, and they're facing a fourth down inside the five yard line oakland has got to be going for a touchdown this time no field goals go for the touchdown yes. to the Big 12 title game and give the ball to Ramondre. if they
1: if if yeah if, if they kick a field goal on on fourth and goal from the one with Ramondre stevenson on the sideline that it, it's they not going to deserve happen. to lose the game he, they deserve to lose the game that's not going to happen I, unless, I don't,
0: the def, unless the defense just pins their ears back and plays the game of their lives uh which yeah. I mean, the defense played great season ago in the Big Twelve title game against the yeah, Baylor feeling, team without an offense.
1: Man, I'm feeling I'm I'm feeling pretty good about the defense, and of course, like you know, I don't I don't want to get too overconfident, but I mean, there's I am I'm, I'm pretty damn confident in saying this is the best defense that Oklahoma has had since that 2009 defense, um, and it's you know I I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good with that going up against what Iowa State can can do. I just i'm I think they're a good team, like I said, I think they're well schemed. I agree with you there, but in in terms of like, yeah, in terms of the offenses that we've seen in the big twelve, the last handful of years, they I, they don't even really register to me.
0: All right, so we've done about ninety minutes on the game. Might as well do whatever we want to do on national signing day. Granted, there's other podcasts and other people to, to listen. I mean, the Sooner Scoop guys, obviously. There's other, you know, Brandon Drum. I think he might still have a podcast, and he's a great guy. To t- so, yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, you know where to get the recruiting stuff from. So if you're curious at all we have to say about this, I'll be honest with you. I have not – I could not tell you. I, I know they got that uh, – they got the quarterback, and I, I can't even think of his name. Uh, Caleb uh, Williams. I know they got Caleb Williams. Um, I know that uh, – t- here's the thing. I'm looking at the 24-7, 24-7 composite rankings. I'm seeing Oklahoma right now is at number seven. They got uh, Oregon, Clemson, LSU, Georgia, Ohio State, Bama ahead of them. Um, And I know they got Caleb Williams. I don't know much about any of the defensive guys they've got. All I'm interested in is this running back, Kamar Wheaton, who apparently is, I think, supposed to commit a week from uh, when we're recording this. I think he's supposed to commit a week from Wednesday. So the 23rd, I believe, is what he... A, I think he might have announced it on Twitter or something like that. So, knowing Oklahoma's been uh, not great at running back, I'm curious to see where he goes. Uh, I don't know nothing about it. I don't know where he's leaning. I don't know anything about that. I I probably, uh, yeah, I, recruiting is not my forte. Uh, you're more into it than I am, Grant. So, that's about all I have on it. I'll shut up now and let you get on to whatever you have to say.
1: Yeah. You know, I don't, with recruiting for me, it's one of those things where I just like, I just don't want to, you know, I, I want to let kind of the experts deal with that. It's like I'm, I kind of feel like I'm, you know, I'm an expert on what has happened on the OU football field from 1999 to present. Uh, but you know, when it comes to the guys when they're in high school, I, I, I just don't know. There's so many variables, so I, I don't want to sit here and, and talk about things that I just I don't know a whole lot about. What I can tell you is is you know I, I have watched you know most of these guys in their film and whatnot. I remember last year the guy that I was the most excited about in their class was Marvin Mims, um, and you know, that that turned out to look pretty good. Um, I'm obviously excited about Caleb Williams. They got the number one quarterback in the country. Uh, if you look at any of his high school stuff, Lee, he is just he is an elite athlete and he's big and he throws a really pretty deep ball,
0: um, which is. Which I is remember, cool. though, watching him earlier this summer when he committed. And it was really difficult for me to find any videos of him actually throwing forward passes. To me, every video was him just running. Well, so I, the first I time I watched videos.
1: him, like his huddle highlights or whatever. Like I feel like the only one that I watched him was just him just chucking it deep every single time. Oh, see, and okay. it looks so good. I I mean, got it bad looks, tape. Of course it was a highlight package, but he like, those are really nice deep ball. Um, another, like other guys, you know, they're, they're going to get good offensive guys. They always do. Um, the one guy that I'm really excited about, uh, in this, in this recruiting class, I've seen quite a bit of his film. And I, I think this is a guy who is pretty much certainly going to play right away. And that is Latrell McCutcheon, the cornerback. Lee, you should go watch this guy. You're gonna love him.
0: He's he's tall. I've I've heard of him. I remember when he committed. It was uh yeah. I just I remember it was on our it was on news nine. We did the thing about it.
1: So yeah, my like my my recruiting analysis basically boils down to if you watch him on tape, does he flash? Does it look like he is physically dominating high school kids? Um, Latrell McCutcheon, in terms of how he looks in high school. He is he is he's the most excited I've been for a defensive back since Lincoln Riley has 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 been recruiting at Oklahoma. He is tall, wow. he is long, and he it just on on tapely it's just a bunch, it's just him playing a bunch of man coverage and him being extremely sticky. So, you know, I, I'm I'm I, I think he's gonna play Sounds right away. Good. Um I I'm excited to see him play. There's other guys too that I'm really kind of intrigued about too. Um Ethan Downs is a guy I think is is probably going to be a really productive player for them on the defensive line. Uh they got a kid out of uh out of Oregon named Nathan Rollins Kabanga who is like 6-7 and he, he's going to be kind of a project, but he's he's kind of an athlete and uh, he's a guy that I'm really interested in. Uh, I know Clayton Smith is kind of their elite edge rusher that they've gotten in this class. Um but the train kind of rolls on. They're they're recruiting at a really high level right now. Um and and hopefully it, just, it, it continues and i know like they're seventh in the the 24 7 composite i think if you actually take it by like average star rating i think they're they're second or third in the country in that uh they just don't have a ton of commits i, I don't think they're expected to have a ton of commits in this class which sometimes means uh you, you don't have the highest ranked class uh,
0: just locally here in oklahoma city uh, i know Choctaw safety, Jordan Mukes gets uh, you know a, a lot of publicity. He was in the uh, – Choctaw made it to, I believe, the state title game, 6A2. Uh, but I, I'm intrigued by his size. It's 6'4", 192. That's a big safety.
1: He's the guy um, – when I watch his uh, – he's the one guy on the defensive side in this class when I watch his tape, I'm like, I don't know about that. He doesn't move very well. He does not move well at all, I, I don't think. he. He just – he looks – he 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 doesn't carry that size very well. He just it's he looks lengthy, and he, he looks like he needs to put on at least like twenty or thirty more pounds for him to look kind of like normal. Um, I don't know. He he's going to be a huge product, or uh, I'm sorry, project. He's going to be a huge project.
0: All right, yeah, and uh, I'll have to watch he's more just, tape of him. I haven't seen like now. he's
1: I because because I know he's an elite basketball player, so obviously he's a good athlete. He just, whenever he has to change direction really quickly, it looks like his knees are going to buckle every single time. He's, he's, he's a guy I'm a little concerned about in terms of physicality.
0: All right, well, that's all I have on the recruiting front. Um, again, this is not the podcast for that, but uh, it is what it is. I hope they get Kamara Wheaton. Other, otherwise, they're going to
1: have to hit the, hit the transfer portal pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah, that's Honestly, they're probably true. gonna have to Roman, hit the transfer Roman portal pretty gone. hard anyway.
0: Even if they do get them, yeah, I agree. Um, all right. So other than that, uh, the penultimate playoff rankings are out. Iowa State's at six now. Um, top four is the same. Uh, you texted me the other day, uh, you know, the other night when it came out, and I mean, I haven't given much thought to it as in in terms of Oklahoma getting in because I've just, I guess, weeks ago just decided that it's not going to happen. But uh, I guess you you laid out. There is a scenario where it's possible, right?
1: Yeah, no, I, I this I, I the, the same thing applies that I said last week on the show. If the committee, for whatever reason, decides not to go with Ohio State, no evidence that that is going to be the case. I think if Ohio State beats Northwestern, they're they're definitely going to get that last spot. Um, but like I said, if the committee goes in any other direction for that last spot other than Ohio State, or if Notre Dame beats Clemson and OU beats Iowa State and is and is impressive doing so i think they're going to be in a really good position i like i'm i'm of the opinion that they are going to jump over texas a&m regardless
0: <laughs> that's boy that would and that like, would be hilarious. this is not um, like
1: this is not tin foil hat stuff there is a precedent for the committee doing stuff like that like I, texas a&m of, of course well, is they've had a good season they haven't been supremely impressive in virtually any of their wins. Um, and Oklahoma has, and Oklahoma is going to have the conference title. It would not surprise me at all, even if OU doesn't get in the playoff, if when the dust settles on Saturday, they still jump OU ahead of Texas A&M. In fact, I think there's precedent for doing so.
0: Um, what was I going to say? Um, oh, yeah, the, the I think the next logical follow-up, though, would be do you want this to happen? No, not really. Which my answer would be no. Yeah. If they got to play no, Alabama. No, no, no. no, not really.
1: But also, I, I, no. you know, it's, yeah. you know, the LSU game last year sucked, but it's, it's not, there's been zero consequences from it other than hurt feelings. Yeah. They're about, I mean, they're about to have another really good recruiting class signing. They signed the number one quarterback, you know, in the country some good offensive linemen I, there's there were zero z- like maybe the only consequence of that was defensive guys seeing it like oh crap I, I'm gonna commit there maybe I'll
0: play early <laughs> yeah that's yeah, yeah there's definitely gonna be uh, there's got to be a lot of that I mean it why wouldn't you think that if you're like especially if you're defensive back at Oklahoma so yeah I mean I guess I don't have much else to add but no yeah like the do, college do I play off front
1: would I feel, you know, all warm and fuzzy inside if, if you know, they had to play Alabama?
0: No, not really. Um. It is kind of annoying. I mean, it's pretty crazy to think about, Grant. Ever since we've started this podcast, we have never gotten to the end of the season on a, on a high note. We've always had a really sad, like, head hanging, arrested development, uh, you know, George Michael... Uh, final podcast in the season about going, <laughs> my, uh, <laughs> going over how bad Oklahoma just lost. Yeah,
1: no, you're right. Um, my my ap- my absolute number one hope for kind of how everything turns out, like obviously pipe dream. It's like yeah, they get in somehow and they go on a run and they win the national title. Yeah, obviously that's what I most would want to happen. <laughs> but we're going to but we we're, we're going to stick squarely into the realm of of actual you know <laughs> possibilities of reality. Um, yeah. I think the most delicious, actual, like realistic possibility is I hope OU obviously wins on Saturday, and if they don't get into the playoff, I want them to be number five. I want them to jump over Texas A&M, and A&M drops back to number six. And I would really, really love it if OU and A&M played in the Cotton Bowl and we got two or, th- or we got two weeks of A and M fans just being so upset that OU jumped over A and M, and then we get we get two weeks of that, and then uh, it, it all just crescendos in the Cotton Bowl with OU uh, embarrassing Texas A and M, which I think would just be one of the most delicious things that has ever happened <laughs> in the what a, what a great for such for this season starting out so poorly. Can you think of a better ending, like a better realistic ending than that? If OU jumps over A&M, which which wouldn't matter at all, it would mean not, It would be a completely made up rating system that A&M fans would very clearly be super upset about. And then seeing OU destroy them in the Cotton Bowl, that would be maybe the best way this season could ever end.
0: Well, as somebody who worked in College Station for a couple of years and have friends that are Aggies, I uh, I don't know how much I can really jump behind that on this podcast. <laughs>
1: Because it's, it's actually uh, – because uh, Oklahoma is better than Texas a and I am I am certain of that. Um, and Texas A&M is – they're fine. They're not any better than they were last year. They just had a really easy schedule this year. I, I just I, – it would I be great. I think
0: – here's the thing. I think – again, like I've heard A&M's offensive line is really good. I haven't watched them play a whole lot. I've watched a lot of that Auburn game, which – I mean – a two touchdown road win over Auburn—that's a good win. I mean, that, that's not a bad win. I mean, they had to an come, Auburn I mean, team that fired their head coach
1: like right after the game. An Auburn team that was eight, likely in disarray. There's a couple.
0: And also, Bo Nix is not good. My goodness, that guy. Whew, and also, like is, this is, is. is the
1: A and M is
0: is completely one dimensional. They cannot throw the ball at all. That's what I was gonna say. I, I was deciding whether or not I wanted to say. Uh, I I think I like Brock Purdy more than I like Kellen Mond. I do as too, a actually. <laughs> I, I, Kellen Mond is is just kind of a guy that you actually could make you could make the case he's kind of similar to Brock Purdy. He hasn't really gotten. I think Jimbo Fisher has made him better, but I don't think he's really he, he's hit his ceiling. I don't think he's for a guy that's been around as long as he has. You'd think he'd be. I mean, putting up these insane numbers. And I realize that's probably not what the A&M offense is. So maybe he's being held back a little bit by that. But also, I think he's been helped by Jimbo Fisher. I think I I remember his best game to me, and maybe he's played a lot better since then. He probably has. I I haven't seen every A&M game. But I remember Fisher's first year, he was really good against Clemson. I mean, he was throwing the ball really well against Clemson Uh, in that game. They ended up losing, I think. Granted, I think Lawrence didn't play. I think uh, that's back when Kelly Bryant still played. Or no 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 maybe no I think Lawrence said playing that game. Kelly Bryant started later. that game and he was so terrible that uh, he was replaced by. That's Lawrence. what it was, yeah. Okay, yeah. And I thought Kellen Mond was really good in that game. And maybe he's played better since then. He probably has again. But I, he was really impressive. And I thought, man, this Kellen Mond could be really good. And then, uh, the times I've watched him since then, I haven't been all that impressed. I, I know A and M fans like him, but um, whenever anyways, I,
1: yeah, whenever opposing defenses force Kellen Mond to sit in the pocket and go through his progressions. He, I mean, he's a wet blanket. He just he falls apart completely. There's, you know, I. And the thing is, like, he's not even like he's fast in a straight line. But if you ask him to make a quick cut, he can't do it.
0: It's like one of those. Yeah, he's a bit stiff. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I. Sure. Kellen I guess I'll Mond be going in up that, against that this matchup. OU
1: defensive line is something that all of us would very, very much like to see. All right, I'm trying to think. What's like, your I'd, I'd actually like it, it's it's pretty like you know if OU wins on Saturday they they're gonna they're gonna play some SEC team in the bowl game. Um, I just I have zero interest in playing Georgia or Florida. I I only want AM. That's the only team I want. If 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 OU is not playing in a bowl game against A and M, I'm I'm gonna be pretty disappointed.
0: Yeah, playing Georgia doesn't sound. I mean, I guess we get a, the whole thing's gonna be. Rose Bowl revenge whatever that'll be the whole storyline um, Florida I, want Rose-, I yeah. want Rose
1: Bowl revenge in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena in the- <laughs> anything else yeah. to me is meaningless I don't care
0: yeah I think I'm I think you're kind of convincing me I think that I think I am kind of down for that matchup if Oklahoma plays well and, and looks like they maybe they get back on track uh, especially knowing that they're not going to have a gigantic break between next. I mean they're going to have as much of a break between the big 12 title game and whatever bowl game they play in I as have- they just Pad. Cotton this Bowl game. is December thirtieth. It would be December nineteenth
1: to thirtieth. That is awesome. Oh, okay. We're, we're we're finally getting exactly what we want, and I'm sure. I, honestly, thanks, thanks
0: COVID. <laughs> it's.
1: I don't think it's gonna have a. I don't think that's gonna have a big impact at all. Um, no,
0: I, don't, I. I don't either. I've. I've. I've come Especially around. I don't.
1: Every, I don't think any of that has that huge of an impact, really. Um,
0: Florida. It hey, depends. Know, I think it's situation. Situation. That 08 Oklahoma team, Grant. They were a freaking train, man. They were much more. I, I think all, <laughs> they were
1: much more impacted by Demarco Murray being out than they were being off for, for six weeks. And I think I yeah, think maybe. Florida, I think Florida starting like seven or eight top three round picks on that defense had more to do with Oklahoma struggling in that game than the layoff did.
0: Yeah, maybe. My
1: my thinking has changed on this quite a bit.
0: When did Demarco Murray get hurt? Was he hurt immediately On the opening after that kickoff
1: game? in the Big Twelve championship game.
0: Okay, I totally forgot about that. Okay, uh anything else on your God? we, we are consistently going almost 2 hours uh which I know people that like the show don't care. Um the only other thing I I guess we talked about this a little bit on my opening take a couple weeks ago I think. The have you seen this whole Rose Bowl thing? It looks like they're trying to get the Rose Bowl to change the rules to allow to allow family in. Uh, I saw Bill Hancock had some sort of statement Official statement that they talked about on the College Football Playoff Show uh, Tuesday night, and to me, it kind of came off as them saying like, "Hey, yeah, you better change these rules here." But I, I didn't take from it, and I think maybe Reese Davis might have hinted too. Like it, it didn't sound like it was for sure in stone, like this game is going to happen at the Rose Bowl, or maybe I'm looking too far into it uh, because it, I mean, they want the families to be able to go to these games at the very least. Which, let's be real, the Rose Bowl that's not a that's not a hard ask. I mean, you let. Like If you want to make sure that you have your, your, your stupid game there, Rose Bowl, just let the families in. That's, that's not that hard. But if they're going to be that, I guess, uh, stringent and say, nope, I, college football playoff, please move that game. Get it out of there. Get it out of there. It, is, it would be ridiculous to have this playoff game without any fans whenever plenty of other states would gladly host it with fans. That's I haven't really thought much more into it just than that. But figured it this is a long podcast. Might as well just bring it up in case you had any thoughts on it. If not, that's uh, fine. We can move on.
1: My thoughts are I just I would like to know more about it. There was uh when the when that when kind of that news started to come out that they were thinking about, you know, maybe relocating the playoff game, that sort of came with uh, the qualifier that if they did this, that means the Rose Bowl wouldn't happen. Or at least that's what uh what Stu Mandel, his article, or at least his tweet originally said. And um I'm of the opinion of if this if if this move were to cancel the Rose Bowl, I'm against it. Um I I think it's important that the Rose Bowl is played. It's been played every single season since 1915. It needs to be played. Um I'm if it is moved, I am completely confused as to why you still can't have the Rose Bowl. Um, with just with whoever loses the Big Ten title game and the the Pac-12 champion, I I don't I don't understand why that's an issue. Um, but I don't know. I, I I need more I need more information. I, I think it's I think it's it, it's it's really too bad that there can't be any fans at the Rose Bowl uh, because quite simply it is the best setting for any sporting event on planet Earth. Um, and it's it's really too bad that people can't be there.
0: Uh, that's that's fair. That's fair. It's it's always. Always a good thing to ask for more information. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at this more of not necessarily the traditional aspect, just simply as a playoff game. And uh, you know, some of these fans, again, like we talked about before, if it's Ohio State, they haven't been able to go to a game at all this year. That'd be a pretty hot ticket for people in Columbus to be able to go see their team play at least one time. But I think a lot um, of it so, yeah, too is you're,
1: I think a lot of it is they're running into local law as well too. Like you, I mean, I think law says that you just you can't gather. Like it's just not it's not legal to do so. So they would have to probably get some sort of, you know, some sort of written exceptions, either from like L.A. County or the city of Pasadena or, you know, I don't know. So but but I mean, when I say that it is the best setting for any sporting event in the world, it is it is beautiful. Anyone who has been there can tell you the exact same thing. Um, And I I don't I I don't know if it's going to be the same without any fans, but. Man, when it is when it's like when it's five o'clock in the evening there, and the 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 setting sun is hitting the San Gabriel Mountains, it is it. it I mean it's it brings it brings a tear to your eye. It chokes you up a little. It is it is beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, and man, it's uh, it doesn't it does not sit well with me that there's not going to be a crowd there. But I I'm, I'm not really sure what the alternative is.
0: See uh, the only other thing, and this is not the podcast for this at all. I just want to throw it out there, just to let anyone listening know that I am thinking this way. Uh, you use the word law there. I'm not so sure that they're actually laws. I think they might just be rules. Which edicts people might be thinking that that's you know semantics. I, it's not semantics because a law is a law that's passed. Just county or government guidelines or rules. That that's different. So, again, not the podcast for that, but I'm pretty sure there's a difference. And I'm not sure if I'm looking at right now I, I'm on Google. I mean, I'm yeah, seeing I mean, the arguments. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing rule. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not seeing the word. I, I don't think anybody passed a law.
1: The argument would be a lot of these. Which I think is a big idea. The argument would be a lot of these things that, you know, Pasadena or L.A. County has to adhere to. The argument would be that a lot of these things were kind of arbitrarily made. Why can't you arbitrarily make an exception as well? And logic definitely checks out there, um, but who I mean, who, who knows what's happening behind the scenes? Like, I, I got, I kind of got the idea, like it's sort of that Mandel writing that article a couple of days ago, it, it kind of stunk of one of his sources trying to get ahead of the story type of type of deal, um, you know? I or like his his Pac-12, his West Coast sources uh, putting out there that the Rose Bowl is not going to happen if this goes through. That that seems to me kind of like a that, that that story was written for a purpose type gotcha. deal
0: all right well um okay yeah i'm I'm trying to extend this podcast not sure why uh because we've gone so long uh, you know maybe at some point we can discuss baker mayfield and uh kyla murray and jalen hurts all playing starting quarterback in the nfl at the same time i kind which of is, yeah, uh, I, a thing I, that's I feel happening. like uh
1: I feel like 2018 especially like Baker's rookie season we like we we spent at least like 20 minutes at the end of every podcast talking about Baker. Um I'm all in on Baker man. I I just I'm I I think he's actually I think he's starting to put it together. Um he is he is certainly I I don't think he's a bust. Um if he's a bust then Eli Manning was also a bust. Then Philip you know what I mean? Like I mean cuz as as of right now like
0: Baker oh, like Mayfield three years is, in.
1: yeah, like he's he's no he's nowhere near as like he's he's not as bad as Eli Manning was, or he's probably better than Eli Manning. So you know, I that's that's kind of always my baseline, because because <laughs> pe- people who cover the NFL they just slobber all over Eli Manning despite him being fairly average his entire career, and I, I just like it, it it kind of cracks
0: me and up. Very good in two Super Bowls. Yeah,
1: it, it it kind of cracks me up that we live in the same universe where people can can kind of can throw cold water on on a guy like baker his first three seasons the nfl but they can have the exact like but that exact same person can have the opinion that eli manning is a hall of famer those things just they just don't match up you just can't do it
0: well in eli manning's first full year as a starter which was his second year in the league he did have a winning record so he's got that over baker baker has not had a winning record yet he's going to have one this year uh yeah yeah which is good but um uh, I, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. I, my thing with Baker is, yeah, I, I mean, I, I always tune in. I, I, I don't miss a game. I can't say the same about Kyler. I, I do not enjoy watching the Cardinals play. I, I do not find the Arizona Cardinals offense uh, entertaining. I, I don't like watching Kyler play football. I, I, that offense is weird to me. It's they, they don't take. Uh, it's every once in a while they take a shot. It's dink and dunk uh kyler doesn't look he i mean he's been kind of kind of banged up and stuff and they're winning games i guess but i don't have as much fun watching kyler as i do watching baker i I like watching the browns a lot more um i i don't know i just it's always because of baker's style but i want him to be really good i want him to be awesome and he played really well against the ravens but at the same time though i he made one really bad decision that pick was terrible and that that cost him seven points i mean that he played really well, but also he had a really bad interception that cost his team you know, seven I, points. I, so I, I I totally it's, it's,
1: get where you're coming from there. And of course, you know, as a quarterback, Baker's got to work with what he has.
0: I want him to eliminate that stuff is yeah, what I'm trying I, to I say. I also
1: want him to eliminate that. But at the same time, he led his offense without, you know, without one of his top targets, Austin Hooper. He led that offense to score forty two points against a top ten defense in the league, which was one of which was one of the huge criticisms against him that he was only good against the Bengals and bad defenses. But I mean that was that was a top ten defense in the league, and he was making he, he was putting putting things on a dime. Yeah, no, he... And so you know I, I'm like Tom Brady in the early part when he was the New England Patriots never had to play a game like that ever. His defense always always would have bailed him out. And I know this is not I'm not comparing him and Tom Brady. I'm just like it's your defense well, I think, does uh, matter. I think
0: ESPN did. Yeah, some some uh, ESPN or CB like some. They tweeted about uh, Baker versus Brady the first x amount of games, and like the stats were pretty similar. Like, come okay.
1: on. And that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> but like we we bring it up. Like I, I bring that up because you know in the early to mid two thousands it was always Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning, and anyone who had eyes and was honest would tell you that Peyton Manning was a better player. He just he just was. You know Brady Brady I Brady I thought the 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 best part of his career was the second part of his career in the twenty tens when he was older and more. And, you know, he, he kind of, he leaned into his experience a lot more. The early part, the first three Super Bowls that the Patriots won was on the backs of their defense. And so, oh, yeah. like, I, I yeah. just, I, I bring that up just because if if the Browns had a good defense, the Browns would have won that game easily. Right. Like, it's just, it's not, it's, you're dealing with... Yeah, their defense with, is with, fine. They rush the passer pretty well. That's it. That's it. Like they they their secondary re- their sec-
0: is bad. Their secondary a, uh, when um uh, when, when Ward is out is terrible. Ward, yeah, he's been out. He's been out the last but three or four games or something like that. So yeah, I, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, and uh, definitely a huge reason why Lamar Jackson has been able to get you know get by with a lot of things because his defense ever since he's been in the league has been really good. I mean the Ravens have had a really good defense, which has definitely helped him uh, in in a lot of ways. Um, the the last thing uh, on this game and I had it literally five seconds ago oh okay it's i we're gonna get a few more games and hopefully the browns make the playoff i mean they're they should make the playoffs and it'd be great if they want a playoff game but i i think it's pretty clear at this point that the browns need to move on somehow or get rid of odell beckham jr that he he does not help that team he does not help baker mayfield uh, i was looking it up in baker's career uh he is now without odell beckham jr as a starter. Unfortunately, he just lost to the Ravens. He is now 10-9 and 9 as a starter without Eldale Beckham Jr. And remember, he won seven games as a starter, I believe. Or no, six technically as a starter, I think, his first year as a rookie. Uh, because he came in after Tyrod Taylor started that Jets game, and then he won the game. So you could be charitable and give him that win as well. He, technically, it should be his win, because they would not have won the game without him. Uh, but anyways, he's... He's just above five hundred without Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, in the lineup. He plays better without him. Uh, I I don't don't know what it is. And, gosh, what else did I have? Oh, I I I was going to clarify again. Uh, Yeah, they were almost five hundred his rookie year. Again, that Browns team had won, what, one or two games in the last three years? (laughs) So, I mean, he... He almost had a winning record his first year, and then Odell Beckham came in last year with Freddie Kitchens, and, and uh, you know I I was one I I thought the Freddie Kitchens thing was fine because I thought he and Baker had, had a good rapport. I was wrong. I was obviously wrong about that. Uh, granted, he still won. He's, they still won more games than Hugh Jackson won, <laughs> and like Freddie Kitchens gets killed, uh, they they still went like five and eleven. I think. I mean that Hugh Jackson could like couldn't win a game. He, like, anyways, uh, and then this year obviously without Odell Beckham now they've they've lost twice. Uh, to the Ravens, and they lost to the Raiders in that really bad, weird weather game. So, anyways, I just want to bring that up. I think it's pretty clear that uh, OBJ is not helping that that offense at all. It, it, yeah, I mean, and they also Baker.
1: there's just there's no reason to pay them. They have they're they have plenty of weapons. They're fine. They have, um, you know, they have the best running back tandem in the league. Uh, Kareem Hunt is a massive weapon out of the backfield throwing the ball. Um, they austin hooper and harrison bryant is is and david and joku as well they have three really good tight ends and also uh donovan people's jones is good he is
0: a legit nfl
1: receiver like on the outside they they just they don't need obj they just don't
0: and uh yeah i mean jarvis landry's that that good piece they have i mean he's that steady guy and he and baker have really good rapport all right that's uh that's enough for today. Everyone enjoy the Big 12 title game. Hopefully, we can actually uh, get it in. It's Wednesday evening. It'd be a huge shock if a, a title game did not happen. I mean, they're going to play this game. I, I can't imagine that happening, uh, that not happening. So, uh, we'll be back next week to talk all about it and uh, get you all ready for Christmas, I guess. Um, so, until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.